0: The devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him
1: and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind
0: that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back continuing our chronological exploration of the Halloween franchise, also known as One Good Scare in the show. And we're talking about the month of June, so we're talking about Halloween 6, the origin of Michael Myers, 666, or Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, or... I'm Hall- going to go with
1: Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Yeah. The final working title. Yes. And the, final, the final title.
0: Yes. And, as we, and it was released on September... 29th, 1995. 1995, as we watched all the trailers and TV spots that beat us into our head of like that date. This is gonna be
1: a stacked episode, folks. Like, yeah. W- w- I know we're coming to you like just at the last the last week of the month pretty much.
0: Right. And this
1: one we really had to do our homework on big time. We had to study this freaking one. This one this one's gonna be a bit of a bumpy ride. Yeah. Uh we hope Mike Wilson, by the way, is back here. Uh, just keep, everyone knows. I'm yes. the Halloween I'm, I'm the Halloween guy on your show. This is true.
0: And yeah, and because we 'cause we're gonna be talking about the theatrical and the producer's cut and we talk about a lot. Yeah, and there's a lot of pre-production stuff to get into, so let's not diddly deadly. let's jump into that right now. <laughs>
1: Well, we're going to put a disclaimer up first. We had to do all a shitload of research from special features on actual releases, interviews, you know, video interviews, behind the scenes footage, trailers, all kinds of stuff. Um, we tried very, very, very hard. We got both of us have like several pages worth of notes here that we took, things we've written down. I've got, you know, both my phone and tablet queued up to pages already. So much of what's presented here is from interviews with, like, Daniel – there were a couple of interviews with Daniel Farren's, the writer of Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, uh, with Danielle Harris of why she did not come back for this movie – yeah. which we will also get into. Uh, uh,
0: interviews with Joe Chappelle. Um, interviews with Joe Chappelle. Um, was Paul Stephen Rudd, also known as Paul Rudd these Paul days.
1: Rudd. yep. Uh, Marianne Hagen, act, the lead female actress. Just, uh, ju- there's just so much to this movie. Some words
0: on, uh, from Donald Pleasers on his final performance, which he did not know was going to be his final performance, but it turned
1: out to be, yep. sadly. This mo- Let me just put it this way, folks. This movie is a mess. From start to finish... From the moment it entered pre-production to the moment, till pretty much a couple of years ago when the famous producers cut was, leased, was released, this movie is a fucking mess. I just hope for all of you that we provide a lot of information. There's probably going to be plenty of disputable stuff here. I'm sure much of what we read was opinion, yeah, or and not fact. You know, and if it was fact, it could be perceived as just opinion. So we, our goal here is we hope to provide you with a good, comprehensive history with as much information as we can. As we can give, and hope that you get something out of it. I, I, I recommend it to everyone if you're, you're a Halloween Six fan, or if this podcast, you follow this podcast, and it turns you onto this movie, that you look up some more stuff because there's just so much. There's an endless amount.
0: Yeah, and with that said, let's get into our initial, as we always do, as our initial we begin it with our original memories, experience. I'm yeah. gonna let
1: you take over this time. What was your First experiences with Halloween. I, it it must
0: be very much like I always said in the past few episodes. It's probably the AMC AMC marathon of it. Uh, of of seeing is around Halloween, that uh, ten to fifteen years ago at this point. Yeah, it must be at least fifteen years ago at this point. But the thing is that it was one of the first movies that my brother in law and I bonded over, uh, making fun of a movie. Because one of the things that we always brought up, because we only see the theatrical cut up to this point, was the score of it. That there's a very distinct rock sound uh. to the theatrical, the, the theatrical cut of this movie. I mean, like, heavy metal guitars in the background. I mean, Dive bombs. Dive bombs. And like, this, yeah, yeah, it is like, pinch squeals. And I'm like, what is going on here? And it's a joke that, um, whenever I bring it up with my brother-in-law, Fred, um... And I'm just like, oh, you remember that Halloween movie with Eddie Van Halen score? Eddie Van Halen didn't score, but it's just a shorthand of it. And We immediately go, oh, dun, 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 dun. and with Michael chasing after people, that is the the first memories I have about from this movie.
1: My first memories, and actually, this is the final episode. I could say this mine. First uh, knowledge, first awareness of this movie came at Blockbuster Video. This is the the final one I could talk to this about.
0: This was this is the final countdown for the, you.
1: It's the final countdown of uh, 1997. As I've said in the past five episodes, I would go to Blockbuster Video every weekend and rent you know a movie or a video game or something for the weekend. And as my mother or stepfather would be checking out, I go for whatever reason, i go check out the horror section because it was right by the register. By this point, the original Halloween, it scared the living shit out of me. ruined my life. I could not, you know, walk around my own house without being terrified half the time. Um, and I'd look at all the movies. Look at all the VHS box arts and everything. Read the synopsis on the back. The synopses, I guess, that would be the proper term. Halloween Curse of Michael Myers, oddly enough, stood out for me. Because I'm looking at it was the first one not to be numbered. So right there, that that said something in my head, like, all right, what's, what's different about this one? Take the thing, I flip it over, and being the uh, short attention span teenager I was at the time, I'm looking at, at the pictures, it, and um, there's one picture of Michael holding up a character up against the wall. It was clearly like a behind-the-scenes still, like with a chokehold. It was oddly similar to his killing of Bob in the original, Mm-hmm. So for whatever fucking reason, I guess it's maybe a early form of ADD as well with short attention span. I thought Halloween, Cursed Michael Myers was actually a remake at first. I know. Really? I know. It's weird to say. Just like, but I think that for the same reasons I thought Halloween 2 had no Michael Myers in it.
0: Because it didn't have- Because
1: Because there was no pictures of him on that particular VHS box art. It was not mentioned by name in the synopsis, even though they did talk about a continuation of the previous, and I just didn't read that, because I looked at pictures instead of reading, because I was 13 in the 90s, and mm. reading wasn't cool. Who reads? We, yeah. we we play Nintendo all day, man.
0: Yeah. Reading is cool, kids, because yeah. you need to do it.
1: Yes, you should do it. Don't be a stupid 90s kid, mm-hmm. who's now old and fucking hates everything that's new, because their age is showing, and they're only in their 30s. Are you talking about
0: yourself, or other people? I'm talking about...
1: Stop talking about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm guilty of it at times, but then I just have to stop and say, "All right, you know." Yeah, it also helps that that I work for a school district and I get to be around a lot of the teenagers now, and they think my stories are kind of cool, and I just I try not to shit on them.
0: Yeah, I I think it's one of the reasons why you hang out with me to make yourself feel cool too. No, I just
1: do that because I don't want to admit I'm old. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna be 34 this year. What the fuck? Less than two months.
0: Ugh. I'm sorry.
1: Time to fill out that AARP membership. I say, I
0: remember when you turned 30.
1: Yeah, you were hanging out with me that that whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Wow. Alright. Now, <laughs> now that we're in my basement and I see the uh uh main one of the main water pipes going here, I'm gonna hang myself right now. So this <laughs> is the end of my participation on any. Can you wait Goes. till at
0: least the episode be done first and you hang yourself?
1: Maybe I could do it at the end, just like the death rattle will be our sign off.
0: Cool. <laughs>
1: when my when my bowel's losing <laughs>
0: And I, I uh, and I'll just talk to you very much like how uh, Joker talks to Vitaly in Batman Eighty Nine after he kills him. He's like, like, waste him now. All right, you are a vicious bat. If you look at my body while it's
1: hanging there and say I'm glad you're dead and walk away laughing, I will haunt you from beyond the grave.
0: <laughs> you can haunt me from behind the from beyond the grave. From behind, and- the, I'll haunt you from behind <laughs> the
1: grave. I'll just be hiding back there. It'll all be a big death hoax. <laughs> You'll be there in front of my grave urinating on it and I'll just stand up from behind it's a surprise! Hello! And then you pee on me. Yeah. and then I put you in my grave yes. for peeing on me and for peeing on my grave. Yes. Anywho, now that we're distracted enough, Yeah, exactly. Um, but I finally realized Halloween was the sixth one. Well actually No, I didn't know this just yet. Um Memory is a fuzzy thing. See, this is this is dementia and Alzheimer's setting in right now. As time went by, that same year I had really gotten big into The Crow. Um, that was at the time in the World Championship Wrestling when Sting had adopted his Crow-based persona. So I thought, oh, my God, this is so cool. Now I want to watch The Crow. I got to borrow from my aunt and uncle their VHS copy of The Crow. And in the beginning of it was a te- te- very early teaser trailer for Halloween 666, the origin of Michael Myers. I'm right. thinking, oh, my God, holy shit. You know, I, how come I've never heard of this one? Because I was looking on like HalloweenMovies.com and all this stuff all the time. Mm. I'm like wow, I, I can't believe Halloween I'm- movies
0: was was up and running even by then. The Halloween
1: movies has been around for a very long time. Okay, they've been around for since like the mid '90s. No shit, they they've been around. I think since the beginning of residential internet. Oh wow, they've been around a very long time, and I've been going on their website ever you know since then, since '97. I've been a fan, hmm. Anthony Massey. You are my dude. <laughs> but um, I saw this trailer and it, it just really stood out to me because it it had. This is also before I saw any of the sequels, too. Any of the sequels. It had all the music, too, from the – many of the music used from the original. We'll talk about that also. Alan Howarth returned for Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, and he really – he brought back a lot of the actual – I guess you would say songs.
0: Yeah. I, I, musical I,
1: pieces from the original.
0: Right. And, and, and they, would, they would definitely be more – Played out or they'll be used more in the producer's cut rather than the theatrical cut of the movie. And
1: we'll get to why. But
0: yeah, with this
1: trailer, they're talking about, you know, um, who, who is the famous trailer guy with the voice?
0: Oh, it's Don Shit.
1: Don Shit. Okay, so yeah. Don Shit. Yeah.
0: Every, yeah. Inner in world. world, That guy,
1: the inner world guy. Yeah. He's talking about how every legend is based in fact. Yeah. Every myth is grounded in truth and talk about how the, for 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois was always haunted by a night where evil roamed the street. And I was like into it big time. And they would cut, they got to the one where they cut to Do- uh, Dr. Loomis. And I knew what he was, but I never knew why. And at this point, you know, Donald Pleasance was so old. This would go on to be Donald Pleasance's last film. Well, no, his last filmed film. He had one more that he had completed, but was released after Halloween curse of Michael Myers. Okay. Um, it was his last, you know, filmed film. And I didn't recognize him at first. Because at this point, I'd only seen the first one where he was, you know, he was like 59 years old in the original Halloween. And in this one, he was. What? 76? 75? Yeah, 76, yeah. Something like that. 75, 76. Um, so it took me a minute to recognize him. I watched this trailer like over and over again. I was so into it. Like, oh my God, I gotta see this. What the hell? Like, Mm -hmm. this is crazy. Um, it, I never was able to put the two and two together that the two movies were the same and that the title was changed. This is before I really knew much about movies. I kind of just thought, you know, a movie was called what it was called. I never knew about title changes during production. And I, wonder, I didn't know the whole Revenge of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi thing. I,
0: I wonder if it was like one of the situations where it's like um, you had a moment. When the realization hit you, was it very much like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? Like, Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. Einhorn it's is a man. man! No,
1: Well, I didn't take a cold shower and listen to the crying game. <laughs> and burn your clothes. And burn my clothes. But... Eventually, I believe it was thanks to HalloweenMovies.com, or it might have even been thanks to the TV guide, because back back then, before the internet and before digital cable, we had a print TV guide. Uh, we had what's we- print? It's books. That's magazines. What's a magazine? That's that thing where you take a whole bunch of dead trees that are thinly cut and compressed together for something called paper. We're actually, I actually, you have actually have a thing of paper in your hand right now. That's
0: what this is. That's what that
1: is. And you take ink, and instead of drawing on it with a Pen, one of those pen devices. You actually print it on there, and you can do many different fonts, many different styles. Much like when you change the fonts in your word processor. <laughs> the hell I know it's mind blowing, isn't it? Yes, but yeah, we had one that was specific to our town of Brookhaven Cable in New York, in Long Island, New York. I lived in the town of Coram. What
0: you said in Long Island, New York? Yeah, it's on Long Island. In on whatever it's. It was just one of the. Points of contention I had with people in central and western New York when I was going to school in upstate New York. Um, like, are you in line or online? Like, you're you're online. You're on Long Island and everything like that. But you're in Brookhaven online. Ah shit! Yeah, I, I, I know it's a shut part. up at your face. I, I know it's, it's semantics. I know it, but it's something I just need to stay. But go on.
1: Anywho, we got the TV guide that was specific to town of Brookhaven on Long Island, New York. Thank you, and. You know, I was reading about the Halloween Curse of Michael Myers one, and always around October time, you'd see this—you know—all the Halloween movies playing this month appear. Because in the back of it, you could look up movies, and they have them listed, and they tell you all the different times throughout the month. They were monthly uh, TV guides, anyhow. Oh, excuse me, mm-hmm. it's all that tea talking. Oh no, it's all that Popeyes we had for dinner. That's talking. true. Popeyes. Uh, uh, What's the Louisiana fast. Louisiana fast. This this episode was not sponsored by Popeyes. No, we, we always list our list of non-sponsors. No. So I would get to that talk. To, uh, read about Halloween six and it apparently only got one star, uh, and rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we're here to debate that. No, we're not here to debate quality, folks. I mean, well, to a degree, we are quality between the mess.
0: Yeah, because we have a we we can like it's. What is it... Um, oh, the two candidates in South Park. It was Giant Douche... Giant Douche
1: and Turd Sandwich. That's the that, producer's cut and, and theatrical
0: cut. Yeah, if you were to really measure the two, that's the kind of analogy I would use to describe the two cuts of them. Both of them are terrible, and I know whenever I bring this up in conversation, there are people who will listen to the show and are part of the Real Fans for Real Movies podcast uh, fan group, and they'll immediately shit on this one specifically, especially the producer's cut. To me, this is like the room... Of horror movies for me, it is so bad. I find there, there is a lot of goodness in it because of its in its ineptitude.
1: I guess if you're going with the so bad, it's good. It's I, I don't want to say it's the Miami Connection for because I like Miami Connection. Yes, yeah. I don't Miami Connection. I would intentionally watch this. I really only watch when I'm marathoning the series just because I feel like I have to.
0: But no, because there's so much like absurdity in here that I cannot stop laughing at it.
1: But I will say, Halloween Resurrection is worse. And we will get to it why in Yeah. the month of... Of course, my birthday month, we have to fucking cover Halloween Resurrection.
0: Yeah, you're older, and we will talk about Halloween Resurrection. How's that oh, you-
1: fuck. I'm just going to have a bottle of pills on air, and I'm just going to end it all. <laughs> I
0: thought you were going to hang yourself at the end of this. I'm going to wait two months. Okay. <laughs> and so... Imagine how
1: much fun we're not going we <laughs> to have watch that.
0: But... Wash. So, six years have passed between the end of Halloween 5 and... We have a continuation of the Halloween franchise now being purchased by Miramax.
1: Shortly after Halloween 5, even though Halloween 5 was, you know, for all intents and purposes, at the time the worst one, the bad one, the least fan received, the least critical received, and the least financially successful by quite a bit, plans were still in place around 1990 ish to, you know, make another sequel. Um, at the same time, interestingly enough a uh, budding Hollywood writer, fresh out of college, Mr. Daniel Farrens. He had actually gone to see uh, Halloween 5, and he was there with some of his friends, and after seeing it, he said to himself, I'm going to be the one to write Halloween 6. He immediately began work on uh, a treatment of his own. Uh, he got pretty lucky. He actually had a chance meeting with Ramsey Thomas, the producer of Halloween 5, and Ramsey Thomas actually was the one who put him in touch with Mustafa Akkad. Uh, Mustafa Kad, you know, liked his ideas, liked what he was what he was all about, liked his uh, treatment that he had made. So he began working on a script. Unfortunately, things would get delayed quite a, for quite a while because around that same time, rights issues started to go to shit. There was a very long legal battle, very complicated. It delayed these plans for quite a bit. Uh, eventually, Miramex Films, via its Dimension Films division, were the ones who won in the end and bought the rights. As much as I enjoy H2O, I feel like this is really where the, the the big downfall of the Halloween series went, being picked up by such a major corporation like this. Because from now, as good as H2O is, this one H2O Resurrection and the two zombie films, it shows that this is now a corporate product.
0: Yeah, because you think of all right, Miramax, even though it claimed to be an independent studio at the time, was owned by Disney. Disney dollars for funding every decision made through Miramax, and Dimension was the more mainstream brand of that company where things like Halloween and Scream would be released, where things like Shakespeare and Love and Clerks and The Crying Game and what was it, Miramax, I thought classic movies like, uh, would be released like The Piano and The Crying Game, as Jay would say in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And the fact that it's picked up by Dimension, yes, you have a chance to be released to more theaters and more eyes to be upon, and theoretically a bigger budget. But I think you're right. There is a cost to that, and not in a monetary sense. It, it is like it is so many hands are in. There's so, so many chiefs and not enough workers when it comes to making decisions for the franchise going forward.
1: Yeah. Um, by 1994, that everything was cleared up, and the movie was greenlit to be made. Uh, Mustafa Khad had gotten several different screenplays by many different writers, and he, he didn't like any of them. He eventually went back to Daniel Farren's, whom he liked. After in 1990, they he when he met with him, he had this big interview where Daniel Farren's actually took everything that he saw in Halloween Five, really researched it, and surprisingly enough, much of it really could have been applied to not only the season of Halloween but also what was going on with the character of Michael Myers. Farren's he did he did a hell of a lot of research. He researched every element of the holiday Halloween with all the, the Celtic runes and everything, not only the films. He created this, like, backstory and, and mythology, family trees of the Myers and Strode family and how this all fit. He researched the rune thorn that we saw in Michael's wrist in Halloween 5 that was started by Dominique Othin and Gerard. And he felt like, like he wrote something out for who the man in black actually was that we saw in Halloween 5. Akkad liked this, but obviously it got delayed because of the legal battle. But by the time 94 rolled around, Akkad decided he wanted to go with Daniel Farren's for this. Um, I did manage to get my hands a while back on one of Daniel Farron's, uh, scripts, probably in six. Right. The problem is, is that from June to October 94, he freaking went through 10 drafts, so... I, I kind of really didn't look at that too much, and I also thought to myself, I'm, I'm kind of getting the idea in myself. It's like, all right, I'm looking at all these scripts online. Who's to say some jackoff didn't make this up and post it online?
0: Exactly, and there's no way unless we <laughs> unless we had contact with Dan Fairbanks himself yeah. and he was able to send a script to us,
1: like for our, for our later episode. I have the Halloween Returns script, the canceled Halloween Returns, and I actually had to when I got it and read through it. I went to several different websites that I know covered it and that I read just to citate it and make sure it was legit. And to the best of my knowledge, that is. So we'll cover that in our Halloween Extras episode yes. at the tail end of all this.
0: I mean, it's, I guess it's something to say about Halloween 5 that at least one person out there was able to get so much enjoyment out there that they would go out of their way to do all this research and spend so many hours in trying to build up his backstory and kind of like building a world out of the nuggets of ideas that were presented in Halloween 5.
1: In in the uh, commentary track for uh, Halloween 6 on, on here, the the release we watched, Daniel Farrens actually says it. he contacted many of the, the people from Halloween 5 and asked about, like, okay, what was going on with that? You know, what was you guys thinking? And nobody had a fucking idea. That's how just, like, thrown out there the ideas in Halloween 4 and 5 were huh. when it came to shit like that, you know?
0: But it definitely seems that like, the least more thought was put into this. It's just that a lot of the ideas were muddled through studio interference. And that's why I kind of end up with the mess that we have now. Because there was a – at one point that uh, Daniel Harris was supposed to – like wanted to come back. But the studio wanted an 18-year-old to be uh, – I played Jamie Lloyd.
1: Originally, they wanted to move on completely from the Jamie Lloyd storyline. It was one of those things where it's like that you see nowadays, where it's like, okay, this last storyline fell on its ass. Let's just start over with something. And Daniel Farren's, you know, he put in all this work, and Jamie was actually the character Jamie was a big part of his script. She was going to survive right up till the end, where she sacrifices herself to help the characters get away. Um, She gives birth to you know her baby and everything. She's injured taken back to Smith's Grove, where at the end of the movie, the character, they find her, she sort of snaps out of her senses, realizes who they are, they're here to help, and that they have her baby. And she, in a last-ditch effort, you know, she's injured, she's hurt from all that she's been through, she, you know, I guess, I I don't want to say fights Michael, because what the fuck is, you know, she going to do. Right. But delays him long enough to make a heroic sacrifice to let them get away. Miramax originally wanted to get away from this. Daniel Farrens did a lot of convincing to keep it in there, so they said, okay, fine. Um, like you said, the casting call went out to get an actress over the age of eighteen because they didn 't want to Danielle Harris was just she was just a little below that I think she was like seventeen at the time
0: yeah, and so because that she was not technically an adult within the eyes of the law, she still would have to be a function under child labor laws when it comes to uh, movie productions and so jamie uh, that Daniel Harris still wanted to continue and be a part of this because they were looking for somebody just like just like her. They put
1: out a casting call with like her headshot saying, look, girl who looks like this but is over 18.
0: And so she's like, all right, fine. I, this is my role. I'm going to fight for it.
1: And she 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 became – she liked Daniel Farron's script too. She really liked the role that Jamie had and that if Jamie – this character was going to die the way she was going to go out. You know? Yeah. That she was – you know, go, go down fighting, mm. have a heroic end where she helps save the day. So she had to go through a long thing uh, to get emancipated, become an emancipated minor. She had to go before a judge and talk about why she wanted to, why it was a good idea, you know, hire a legal team. Prove that she's a functioning adult. Prove she's a functioning adult. She went through all these steps, but slowly behind the scenes, as more and more drafts that Daniel Farron's of the script was putting out, Jamie's role was getting more reduced, 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 reduced. Until it reached-
0: unaware to Daniel Harris. Unaware
1: to Daniel Harris. So when she finally went through all this shit, spent all this money between three and five thousand dollars to do this. Yes, she gets the script and finds out that you know she's being bumped off in essentially what is the first act.
0: Yeah, and she's being paid scale to eight hundred to a thousand dollars for one week's worth of work.
1: And this is coming from Miramax, a major fucking corporation, even right. by that standards.
0: And so much so that Daniel Harris goes to Paul Freeman, the producer, and Mustafa Kod. Saying like, "Whoa, what's like? I just did all this for you. What is going on?" And they're trying to damn this. The CODs are trying to damn this to expand her role to make it a worthwhile endeavor for her to be a, a part of this production. Mm-hmm.
1: She um, really wasn't pleased with you know what the new script turned out. So, if anything, I know in the Halloween twenty-five Years of Terror documentary, she said she really didn't like Jamie's script. How she just goes out and dies that quick. So, it became a money thing for her. I kind of feel like if they had kept her role as it was, she wouldn't have asked her as much. If they had a thing where she, you know, stays there all the way through, pretty much. So she tried to get the money back. that she All she wanted was $5,000. Which is Five not
0: thousand that. 5000
1: measly fucking dollars in 90s money.
0: All things considered, I think it would be in fair. The company's, yeah, fair and in the, the company's best interest is to do that. That a
1: 17-year-old just spent $5,000 to fucking be a part of something... That you don't want her in,
0: and, and, like, and
1: it's, that's just rude.
0: Yeah, and like, and she's apparently like how it came about well, that she they, it became so aware to her that it was on a conference call, and she's dealing that Daniel Harris is dealing with this female producer who's like, "Well, you're worth the scale to us." That was the mess intimated yep. to her,
1: and that's the corporate atmosphere way of thinking. This is what you do, so this is what you're worth. It doesn't matter what's come before. Doesn't matter anything. And their choices in you know. Fucking director would would exacerbate those problems,
0: right? And, and the thing is, like, it's kind of like a certain wrestling promotion saying, like, nothing existed. You have not done anything unless you've done things in the WWE. A,
1: a certain company whose, yeah. in, whose initials are um, We Want Elias. Yes, and
0: because or it, walk
1: with Elias. Sorry, I don't watch it anymore.
0: Yeah, it's, it's but it, it, and so, so Daniel it, Harris declined, despite. All the efforts she put forth. Despite
1: everything, disappointingly, Daniel Harris did not return for Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. She was replaced by English actress J.C. Brandy, uh, a friend of hers.
0: Yeah, there's no bad blood between the two of no, them. No, not at all.
1: I'm sure she she had no problems with at least at least having a friend of hers take over the role and right. just do the best with it that she could. So many fans have given J.C. Brandy so much shit over the years for it, for replacing such a beloved actress.
0: Yeah, because there's probably so many neckbeards who have come up to her at conventions like, you know, you're not it real Jimmy great. Lloyd. Yeah.
1: But at the same time, it, it it was out of her hands. Like the script is the fucking script. What do you want this? Like, like is every actress supposed to quit? I mean,
0: right? When you're
1: when you're when that's how you make fucking money. That's what you do. And it's cool that she got to be a part of that. You know.
0: I mean, and something that Daniel Harris pointed out is that like, if she had done this and she had gotten the role, and went out like this at the end of Halloween Six, she may not have been cast in Rob Zombie's Halloween remake as Annie. And she feel like she didn't have it. She she was able to have a second chance at a character within the Halloween franchise because of the remake, and so she finds it to be a very uh, a positive thing. And all things considered, at least she was able to do at least two more movies, not just one, because of that.
1: Well, fortunately for everybody, one actor who did return was the great Donald Pleasence, and as we said before, what would be his final movie. Uh, Donald Pleasance, he was given an early draft of the script. I don't know if it was the original, probably. And in his words, he told Daniel Farrens that it was the best story since the original. Um, I think it, it, I, I, in, the, in an interview with Daniel Farrens from around 2005-ish, as he was talking about the writing of it, um, he said that Donald Pleasance's agent read the script and she had trouble like sleeping that night. She slept with the light on. That's how scared she was. I think it was it was long he- since held the belief was that it was a Miramax executive. It would make more sense to me if it were Donald Pleasant's agent because if there's a if there's an executive, a person in power at Miramax that liked it that much, I think the movie wouldn't have been fucked with as much. Daniel Farns would have had someone he could that could have gone to bat for him
0: well at least like it is known that Bob Weinsey's known for being very kind of ruthless when it comes to cuts to his movies um. And like for better or worse. Like his brother's
1: Ruth, Ruthless with cunts that belong to his female actresses. Wow. I'm so fucking glad that bastard's behind bars right now. Yeah. I am so fucking glad that bastard. Maybe maybe the Halloween series will get the justice it deserves.
0: Yeah. I, I, if Michael Myers is able to kill somebody named Harvey, The Halloween
1: series was the first victim of the Me Too movement. I'm saying it right now. Okay. Now we're gonna get banned from everywhere for life. I'm never gonna be allowed to come back.
0: Is say, Do you want me to cut that out? No, it's
1: just satire, people. Girl, fucking backbone.
0: Yeah, okay. Um,
1: no, but believe me, I'm, I'm glad the, the motherfucker is finally gonna. To have to Oh, pay for damn his sure. Crimes. I mean, yeah, glad we'll, he's gonna pay for his fucking crimes. He's such
0: a piece of shit, Morty. Yep. Um, but I mean, even at one point, like all these drafts are going on. Like hell, even Quentin Tarantino was reportedly be part was, of this he's a Miramax guy at the time.
1: I think that might have been during the whole like four year layover with the legal battles, all these ideas thrown out there, maybe something in early in the early 90s. Uh, there was even the rumor that Jamie Lee Curtis was going to return. There was the rumor that Michael Myers was going to be in space. There was all kinds of shit. And actually, there's a f- funny little joke to that. I think it's only in the producer's cut where they – it might be in the theatrical where they, one of the radio callers on Barry show, Say saying that Michael was- Myers is like a secret government agent, and they had to shoot him in, in space because he knew too much or whatever. Right. And then Barry just cuts him off because he thinks he's a fucking quack. Yeah, because... Every- that guy right now would be hailed as a hero, and he'd have his own major like news network and website. So. Because
0: all horror franchises, at least like, a good amount of horror franchises... Ended go- up in space. Yeah. <laughs> many of
1: them ended up in space. Leprechaun did. Jason did. did. And Pinhead did. Pinhead did. So it was no stretch of the imagination. No. But so many different rumors went around for all these years. Um, Daniel Ferenczi went through 10 different drafts of, of this script, as we said. Uh, Joe Chappelle was brought on as director. Uh, why? I don't know. He had no real enthusiasm for it. Daniel, Daniel Many people, Daniel Farrins and actress Marion Hagen have even said that, like, this guy, he really didn't get Halloween. Even Paul Freeman, Daniel Farrins said, didn't get Halloween. Uh, Joe Chappelle really wanted um, it to be a little more hip. A little more faster paced or whatever. Faster, more intense. Faster and more intense. According to Marion Hagen in the 25 Years of Terror documentary, he was interested in a three-picture deal with Miramax, and that was his sole purpose for doing this. Uh, He found Donald Pleasance boring. Yeah. (laughs) He He found the role of Dr. Loomis to be boring. So by the time the 10th draft of this, by the time what they actually shot with arrived, this thing didn't, it, it, it was like the murder victim that no longer resembled the fucking human it once was.
0: And, and you think of, he had done one indie feature before this that was kind of like, i has got some good buzz. I think that's why Miramax picked him up because Miramax was doing that for so many indie filmmakers in the early to mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Smith being an, a big proponent of that as well as Quentin Tarantino. So I could see why Chappelle would be kind of tasked to do this and want to keep the relationship between himself and Miramax going forward. It's just like, this is for you and the next three are for me kind of thing.
1: Well, he did go on to direct Phantoms, so... Um,
0: Affleck was awesome. Fan- was also-
1: oh, that says everything.
0: <laughs>
1: Affleck was the bottom of Phantoms, yo. It, um, returning, also, another actor returning, George Wilbur had come back to... Be Michael Myers. He was the first of now. What was it? Th- what's it going to be? Three actors to play Michael Myers twice. Yeah, because it is he would be Castle, by, yep. because now he's played twice. Yep, he would be succeeded. Well. Next, it would be Tyler Maine, yeah. and then finally, now, with Halloween two thousand and eighteen Nick Castle returning yeah. even albeit briefly
0: yes, and it's, it's so funny I, I guess it was the last hurrah that George Wilbur did before he became the newscaster and cohog yes before he
1: beca- before he went under his real name of Tom Tucker uh, know was it his stage name or his real i don 't know which was which
0: I forget which is which now
1: yep, but he would go on to a successful career as newscaster Tom Tucker. Um, unfortunately, his son would be born with a rare birth defect where his face would be upside down. <laughs> So we wish we wish Mr. Tucker the best.
0: Well, maybe that, maybe that's not that, uh, his uh, his genes because we find out he does have George Bilber's character does have a child in this movie. Oh, his God. face is upside down.
1: No, it is after he watched Halloween Six. <laughs> is that me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> also- it's so exciting! Sang- go turn your face upside down.
1: In the And in this movie, we have also a returning character who had a very small part in the first one, but a very major role in this one the character of Dr. Terence Wynn in the original Halloween
0: the guy says he can say 't drive a car
1: yes, in the original Halloween uh, when Loomis storms out of Smith Grove, angry saying all po- all uh, what was it at all points bulletin, two Roblox and an all points bulletin Wouldn't stop a five the uh, Hospital official he's arguing with is doctor, the character of Doctor Wynn. We don't really. He's a colleague of Loomis at that point. We know uh, he's credited in the um, credits as Doctor Wynn, played by Michael Phelan, I believe. I was going to so. say Tom Phelan, but we were just talking about Tom Tucker. So. Yes, in this one he's uh, cast by, as a uh, by Mitch Ryan, mm. who two years later would go on to play a patented, pontificating, pretentious bastard. Uh, worthless lowlife, a uh, steaming pile of cow dung, figuratively speaking, in the movie Liar Liar. As yes. Jim Carrey's boss. <laughs> the son of a bitch pulls it off!
0: The son of a bitch Keep an eye That's on him! That's the
1: funniest thing I've ever heard! <laughs> Dude, Simmons! Simmons <laughs> is old!
0: <laughs> Shoving out the game years yeah, ago, no, but, but he, he, old he, can't can't he hates his wife! Slut <laughs> 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 Keep an eye on him! Dickhead! <laughs> okay, I'll see you later! Dickhead! <laughs> This is not a lot Your toupee
1: looks like something killed crossing the highway. I don't know whether to comb it or scrape it up and <laughs> bury <buried> it <laughs> alive. Well, yes, Mitch Ryan is there as Dr. Terrence Wayne, who in this movie we find out is the director of Smith's Grove. That is much of why Loomis is arguing with him in the first one. He's the guy, he's the man in charge at Smith's Grove. He has the power. He has the power.
0: He man, <laughs> yes, man. There is just as much mysticism in He Man there is in the producer's code of the of Halloween Six. We'll get we'll get there later.
1: Originally, ironically, Daniel Farren's had written the role for another British actor, Christopher Lee.
0: It'd be kind of weird all of a sudden have him have the British accent, but like I think Christopher Lee would bring so much elegance to and win. You,
1: and you know what the reaction from Miramax was? What? Eh, he's too old. This is, folks, is just several years before Christopher Lee would have a fucking resurrection of his career in Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and even making his own heavy metal albums when he guest vocaled on Rhapsody of Fires albums.
0: And you know the funny thing is that Lord of the Rings was almost made at Miramax at one point. Oh God, oh God! It was gonna be a two picture deal. He had to, he was like the one that concedes was to cut down from three movies to two. I just vomited in my mouth a little. Thank God, New Line Cinema Shit. picked it up, and Bob Shay's like. With these three books, why shouldn't there be three movies? Yeah! (laughs) Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. But we also have another returning cast, uh, a character, I should say, with Tommy Doyle now being cast as an adult, played by Paul Rudd.
1: Yep, uh, this is Paul Rudd's very first movie. Um, Was it a year before Clueless? Yes, Clueless was 96. Okay, cool. Um... In this one, Tommy has been traumatized by the events of what he saw. He's not the, you know, joking, comic book reading kid anymore. He's now someone with the personality of Cardboard. Yes. Yes. And this, I don't know what, if he just lost enthusiasm just seeing all the fucking horse shit and nonsense that was going on in this and he just didn't care. Michael
0: Myers is out there. He's going to return. Look,
1: someone, get me a doctor. Oh my god, I can't even say I did do a shot of gin watching that scene before just to get. There That's already. no
0: bullshit. He literally paused the movie and did a shot gin because of one one scene.
1: scene that makes me want to fucking punch the TV I'm looking at right now. you,
0: you ever see one uh, one hot American summer when he's like kind of like a very pouty person? Like, is that all the uh, just all the angst just coming out of him because he was able to do that in this movie? It's just so. It's baffling, and the the, the choices. like, I wonder if it was just, like, on the page of him supposed to be a very... His acting in this, there are scenes of just
1: basic human interaction, and it's like, what what the fuck is wrong with this guy? How, 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 did, how did this guy get through school? Is he a dropout? That's why he's living at this boarding house across the street from the Myers But how does
0: he pay for all the equipment he has? That's just thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in this movie, Tommy's been become obsessed with Michael Myers. The idea was that he would become the new Loomis. I think because Daniel Farrens really did realize that Donald Pleasance couldn't do this forever, even though he said he'd stop at 22. Yeah. I think he kind of felt he wouldn't make it to 22. So he wanted to come up with some character that the the torch is passed to. Right. And that was, you know, Tommy Doyle, a connection to the first one. Um, He lives in the uh, Blankenship house. Um, Mrs. Minnie Blankenship, played by Janice Nickram, an elderly actress. The name Mrs. Blankenship is a nod to Halloween 3. The uh, person that Harry Grimbridge goes to, is supposed to meet up with, but he never actually does. At oh. dinner with Minnie Black Chip. He never showed for that dinner. You never knew that? Never knew Turn that. Turn in your Halloween fan card right now. Oh, fuck Turn off. Turn in your Halloween fan. I'm going to rip it up in front of you, set on fire, and pee on it, I'm going to rub your face on the fiery pee. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> He's into
1: that kind of thing. Also, oh, rounding out the cast, we have um, the Strode family. Part of the plot is that the uh, extended relatives of the Strode family, the family that adopted Lori, uh, the brother of her father. We have Deborah Strode, played by Kim Darby. She should have called in Rooster Cogburn to take care of Michael Myers.
0: He, like he shows up in the yard and all of a sudden he's here, fill your hands, hand, you, you son of a bitch. And he
1: pulls out a knife instead of a gun. Yeah. Uh, we got Bradford English playing John Tro- John Strode, the patriarch of this part of the Strode family. Yeah, a douchey see- alcoholic real estate. Yeah, asshole. a
0: douchier version of Biff Tannen in this
1: movie. Uh, we have Keith Bogart playing Tim Strode. He's uh, he cool. He is the uh, the uh, son of the family. He's your typical ni- 90s uh, teenager dude. Uh, his girlfriend Beth, played by Mariah O'Brien, she is leading the charge of college students trying to bring Halloween. Back to Haddonfield. Because
0: after the events of Halloween 5, Halloween has been officially canceled in Haddonfield. No longer celebrated. And it's this is the first year of it being brought back. Yep.
1: The students are tired of this. They want it they want brought back. Uh, within the Strode family, we have the female lead of the mo- movie, Kara Strode, played by Marion Hagen. She was given a lot of shit with her casting. Yeah. Uh, claimed that she was too thin, and they just had a chin she didn't like. And I'm thinking to myself, why'd you hire her? If you it, don't it, like this it, actress, it, it, why'd you hire her?
0: If it was that much of a problem in, like outright, like why? Like when you're making the final decisions with the studio, like, why did they give the green light on that decision?
1: Yes. Anywho, her character of Kara has a son named Danny, played by uh, young act- actor Devin Gardner. I believe it was his first movie also. I think he does a pretty good job. All things considered, yes. He shows like legitimate fear when Michael Myers is after his ass. I mean, he- wouldn't you?
0: Well, I mean... George per- Wilbur walking after you?
1: All right, fair enough. Um, And lastly, we have radio DJ Barry Sims. He plays a pretty big role throughout this, played by Leo Getter. Originally, they wanted to get Howard Stern for this.
0: Because this is clearly... Barry Sims is definitely this movie's version of Of Howard Stern. He's a A a shock shock shock, jock, yeah, yeah.
1: basically. Howard Stern was, was, uh, I think, getting into the production of private parts at this time.
0: Yeah, and and he was very relevant at the time. I'm just curious, like... Would this movie be different if it was actually Stern?
1: Would this movie be different if they actually stuck to Daniel Farren's original script? That's what I think of more than Howard Stern's involvement. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm just just curious if like what it would have been if Stern would like play along with having his. No, well, yeah, he probably would be okay with his balls being like cut off and wearing his earrings at one point.
1: Well, that was what he said he was going to do to his producer.
0: Yeah, but I, but I felt, always feel when he when Barry gets killed later on, Michael likes I he stabs down, like in his groin area I. Thought like he was cutting off his nuts for mad. Maybe.
1: Anywho, production was once again at Salt Lake City, rounding out. Like we say, these four, five, and six are often called the Thorn Trilogy. There are many similarities. They were all filmed in 185 widescreen, and they were all filmed at Salt Lake City, and they all follow very much the same continuing three-part storyline. Yes. Um, The Myers House plays a huge role in this, and thankfully, this production crew actually decided to do some real location scouting. They managed to find a house that's – it's a pretty good, pretty decent Myers house. Right. There, there are quite a number. If you really look at it closely, at first glance you could say, yeah, I could see that. Um, on the roof in the center, there's like a, a big window mm-hmm. that's there that's not there in the original. It's, like, it's almost like an extra room that's up there. What, what, what would that be called?
0: hey you would call that an extra room, like, yeah, because in the well, center
1: with like a tiny little roof of itself.
0: Yeah, because we we watched the horror howl grounds uh, location scouting uh, or location visiting um, series, and when they got to this house, we found out uh, a madam used this house temporarily as a whorehouse, huh. in their words. Like, it was a brothel at one point, and. And then, and so that's why it's like when you look at now, like it, it looks like it's small little rooms kind of built into like a house structure. Actually,
1: Where, well, also if you look to the right of the front door, there's actually another door next to the big window. They hide it in the movie with all the uh, like boxes and paint cans and renovation equipment.
0: And they did put up like some fake um, uh, like green paint and everything, like to make it look like, the bottom half of it to look like there was just like. Window and then just more wall.
1: Yeah, like the houses definitely divided up into sections. Um, when you get closer, it's actually a white brick-painted house instead of having the aluminum siding like the original Myers House did.
0: And the interiors for Tommy Doyle's uh, apartment is actually shot in there. In
1: there, in the upstairs. Yes. And what's cool, too, is that when they zoom out, when the Myers House is first introduced in this movie, and they zoom out to the big, you know...
0: Wide shot of it.
1: Wide shot of the town, of the, of that street block... It is pretty much in close proximation with another block that was in South Pass. So not only is the house very similar to the original Myers House, but also its general location and area is very similar. So uh, you know what? If, if you can't use the original, I feel like this is a good, this is a good alternate. It's a good substitute.
0: After coming off, coming off the heels of Halloween 5, it's a great improvement. It's a, it's a massive improvement. I feel like it's just a different intention of the filmmakers on the filmmakers' behalf from Halloween Five to this because it's very gothic the, the fifth one and, or like the one used in the fifth movie I should say and here like yeah it's supposed to be very a strong connection to the first two movies and so we need something to look very much akin to that so as a as a viewer I think it's really I would say it's rewarding for a viewer and a continuity fan. Even if it's not 100%, it's the closest thing we got right now. It,
1: it's very close. I mean, the interiors, you really got it. Like, I, I, one of the things that was kind of taking me out of the movie was when anytime time they're in the interiors, I'm trying to visualize the, the uh, locations of where everything was in the original movie. And it's like the kitchen is in the front left of the house when it was in the back right. Uh, the back door is on the left side, I believe, instead of the right. You know, all these things. The staircase. The, the staircase, staircase is the same. Staircase is very different.
0: I oh, know because it has to um...
1: it sort of goes up and
0: then curves around because yeah, there 's a little like, almost like a little platform
1: and then there 's a, a horizontal so. hallway as opposed to a vertical hallway when you get to the top right it 's very different. you have to use a lot of imagination to figure it out, and the one thing i 'm sitting there thinking to myself is like my god what, where where the fuck was this when they were location scouting h five because i 'm sitting there trying to trying to place, like, areas in my head that were in H5 in this house, and it's just not working, man. It's like clanging two freaking bricks together
0: and, mentally. And, and, before we, we watched the the Horrors Howard ground, it was the – I was thinking, like, maybe this is a new neighborhood and it was just a new development within the five, six years between – I don't think so because – But the, no, because they said it was around the 60s, and so that neighborhood must have been there. I guess it was just on the filmmaker's behalf that they just want to go with this instead. Yeah. I think mean, they wanted to go with the house in *The Haunting* five rather than this. I'm no
1: architecture expert either, but nor do you
0: play one on TV. Nor do I
1: play one on TV, but I don't know if they build houses out of brick anymore. I think it's mostly just wood frames and aluminum siding. Right. And even I'm looking at the interiors of the house. They have like the the, the big like cast iron. I think it was cast iron radiators and stuff. They don't build those anymore. No it's all it's all like baseboard or uh, forced warm air.
0: Yes, and so production shoots and test screens were had, and there was. Very negative reactions, and so even though the Akkad's liked the cut that was initially made, there were reshoots, there was no new thing, a Joe, whole different Joe ending. Chappelle was heavily in charge of these reshoots, and
1: boy, does it show.
0: And so that's why there's something we have what's called the producer's cut, which I never understood why it was called that until I realized, oh, it's the Akkad's preference. For the story, rather than than Miramax, because that's what the theatrical cut is. And
1: shortly after shooting, Donald Pleasance passed away. Yeah. He was not able to return for these reshoots. And because Joe Chappelle had a large hand in these reshoots and he didn't really like – he found Donald Pleasance and his character boring anyway, so much of Dr. Loomis was cut. Yeah. very And and very sadly, too, because I'm a huge fan of Donald Pleasance's performance in this. I I feel like – I feel like it's almost like The Godfather when it comes to the the evolution of Michael Corleone versus the evolution of Dr. Loomis in these three movies. And I will explain why. Like, this is – it's the final one where he seemingly pulled himself away from this thing but ends up – Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me uh, back uh, Yeah, uh, We'll get to that once we start talking about the plot. But unfortunately, Don Pleasance passed away. He was not able to come back. And many of the things they changed, they had to sort of take his scenes and fit them in there somehow. It
0: worked, I would say. I mean – Yeah, because I never – before I knew of the producer's cut, I, I never bat an eye about the structure pay, yeah. or the pacing of once the theatrical cut.
1: Once you watch the producer's cut, you realize that there are pacing issues out the freaking ass.
0: Yeah.
1: Pacing issues, character development issues, just all kinds of issues. It was fucking musical issues. The, the music – a lot of the music was rescored without Alan Howarth yeah. involvement. Transition even, issues, editing issues. He wasn't even asked.
0: Now. And, But let's get into it. And so the movie opens up with – it is taking place in real time six years later. October 30th, 1985. We were actually not told that
1: date in the theatrical cut. Oh, the only producers the producers cut
0: And so Jamie Lloyd now played by
1: – J.C. Brandy is on a gurney screaming in pain being carried by a bunch of surgeons, wheeled on the gurney by a bunch of surgeons through like a gigantic industrial boiler room. Right. No idea where the fuck this is, but there are people in Scrub, their are doctors. She's brought into like this almost dungeon-like atmosphere room
0: where she gives birth to a child. Where
1: she gives birth to a child. We see the thorn symbol, the oddly shaped P that was on Michael's wrist, and you know, drawn in many things throughout the Myers house. We see that all over the place. So we can only assume that okay, this has these people have something to do with this. Mm. She gives birth to a child. After she gives birth, in walks the man in black from Halloween five, the person we were introduced to, no idea of his identity, who at the end of the Halloween five broke Michael Myers out of jail. He takes the baby, carries him off, you know, Jamie's cursing his name. Um now we're giving he's in a large room, it cuts to as the, on an altar. On a on a big altar. It looks it looks but very before, temple of doomish.
0: Yeah, but before you get that, um it's funny I I realized when we were watching the um, the producers cut, because we watched both these cuts back to back. We did not recommend doing the same day. Mm-hmm. You may, you may hurt yourself. We had to
1: stop for a Popeye's break and not even fried chicken could dull the pain. Yeah.
0: And so I realized something about that because I always thought the footage looked very stretched in the opening shots of this movie. And I think I figured out why. I think they shot with anamorphic lenses for the, for these scenes, but didn't de-squeeze them.
1: I hate when you don't de-squeeze it.
0: Because like if you look at it, there's a similar effect in Evil Dead two at one point when everybody's in the cabin and realize oh we're being stalked by demons and there's a lot of shots being pushed in on them. I forget what the what the cause of it is, but a lot of the shots is, is distorted because it's squeezed. Because anamorphic lenses when you shoot with them, how they you get the widescreen look is that it is a wide image being squeezed onto a square frame. But only, you only do that through de-squeezing it, through projecting it through an anamorphic lens, or doing it when you de-squeeze it in editing. Um, so
1: There were some video games back in the day also that had that. I know uh, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark on N64 had that. You had, you had They actually had several widescreen options. You had a boxing option or an anamorphic widescreen option. Right. Donkey Kong 64, same thing. Uh, F-Zero GX on the GameCube, their widescreen was fully anamorphic. Mm. So if you're playing it on a high-def TV, you just set your picture size to wide and it would stretch it out
0: properly. Right. And I feel like it was was an interesting effect for the scene because it, it definitely helped distort the world that you're in right there. But there's been several jokes you made because we find out... This altar in this kind of chamber—it's all this kind of. It, it this- looks very,
1: very crypt-like, cripple- Temple of Doom. Daniel Farren's called it.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, it's happening in the basement of the Smiths Grove Sanitarium.
1: We well, we don't really find that out till later. No,
0: but like, <laughs> is the, the joke that you've made is that. How nobody found James? How, the f-
1: the f- how in the fucking world does, in a state-run mental health facility, how does no government inspector find this? Like, oh, this is our Temple of Doom wing, you know? We, we get we get the people that think they're Harrison Ford, and we put them in here.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, like, either, like, there's fake walls to hide it or something like that, or they lied about the architecture. Inside. We're never
1: at any point in either cut shown. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, there's an alternate opening that was not used where... It's in more of a hospital, industrial kind of area, and the baby's in some kind of incubator to, uh, like, incubator chamber device, much, chamber, yeah. whatever, being attended to by a uh, doctor or a nurse in full scrubs. Now, during these opening intros, pick your poison: your Temple of Doom one, your Deleted one. We get a voiceover in the producer's cut. It's Doctor Loomis. In the theatrical cut, it's Tommy Doyle. What they say is two different things, but their general synopsis is is of the history of Halloween, of how when you know when Michael Myers was six years old, he killed his sister, he, he tried wiping out his entire family, and everyone thought he was dead. You know, but we know that you cannot kill evil. And as this is happening, we're watching the man in black on this altar take a knife and draw in what looks like blood, just sort of draw on the child, the thorn symbol. Um, in the producer's cut. We we get a flashback of the events of Halloween 5. We finally find out what actually happened. We see the Man in Black shooting, the exact footage, except now it has, like, what, a sepia filter over it? It's
0: black and white.
1: Black and white. Uh, Jamie Lloyd walking in the police station, seeing everyone dead, seeing the bars bent outwards. But now we get new footage with, with a, stand-in, a stand-in, where she opens the back door of the facility, and Michael's being thrown into a van yeah. while still, you know, chained up. I believe he was still chained up whatever, yes, he was. By, by several... You know, men. Yeah. And at which point, all, from the left side of the camera, walks on the man in black. She screams and she's taken – both of them were taken. The police station was blown up. Yeah. And neither of them have been seen since. It's mm. been six years.
0: And it, it That is, is
1: in the producer's cut only. Theatrical cut leaves that out.
0: Which yeah. I think it, I think is kind of a detriment because I think it's a nice connective tissue between the two movies. And it could reestablish people, A, if you've not seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time – it's a nice reminder for people that can be caught up on the events of it, and that's what it'll lead into what's going on here.
1: I mean, true sure, at this time, video rentals were a big thing; you could have just gone out rented it. But also, uh, the ending of Halloween Five left so many people confused, and to see something that directly shows what actually more of what actually happened, I think helps. Instead, what we get in the theatrical cut is throughout the movie, and in the very, very opening of it, before we see Jamie on the gurney, we get these extremely bizarre quick flash cuts. Yeah, what we mean is it's. Is it a single frame or two frames or something? It's like maybe a couple frames of that. Of just random images from throughout the actual movie, cut together one after the other. And in the background, it's sort of a musical and like scream sound effect stabs that almost have a reverse reverb reverse effect. What I mean by that is there's a type of sound effect that can be used in music that has sort of a slow build to it. Or it's like... I hear it on, like, guitar sounds a lot. I was taught it when I did sound engineering by a friend of mine. What you do is you take, like, say you got, like, a guitar. It goes, and then let it fully fade out. What you do is you reverse it, where it's like, where, like, it it starts quiet but builds up. Yeah. You put reverb on it, and then you reverse it back to normal so that the reverb comes in backwards. And it has, like, a very, very bizarre, like, uh build-up sound effect to the reverb, but it also kind of helps the actual guitar part come in quieter than it would as well. It's very interesting. Huh. It's very fascinating. I um, um wish I think there's some example... The only one example I can think of off the top of my head, and I don't even know if they actually did it, but it reminds me of it, is the intro to Lost to Apathy by Dark Tranquility. It's a very quick...
0: Okay. Hey,
1: hey, check it out for yourselves, Phil. Yeah, but like
0: uh, w- with this little montage, there's also
1: like... Well, these montages, this sound effect is happening throughout it, so it has a very shh, and sh-
0: sound there's like to it. there's like flashes of white frames in there as well. Flashes
1: of white frames, like if you have epilepsy, you shouldn't watch a theatrical no. cut. Aside from not, aside from the fact that no human being should watch a theatrical cut.
0: Yeah, but like it's also like like white flashes of white frames can work in in the confines of a movie. It can work as a an aesthetic. Think of Aliens. Whenever there is gunfire from the pulse rifles, especially in when the aliens come through the ceiling, when they're at the and when they're in med lab, there is every time you see a gun like, fire up, there are single frames of just white light in there just to sell the effect of muzzle flash of the muscle flash and so muzzle like, flash, yeah, muscle flash, muzzle flash, yeah. I have a speech so shut up, and so do I saw the i So it, it, it sells the effect of what's going on here. And like, there's more cuts in that sequence than there is in like in the rest of the movie. But it's just a, a curious effect that it kind of sells the psychological effect of the movie. Here, it is just for transitions, I, and I think it's just lazy.
1: I've heard it described as music video like, but I cannot recall any music videos off the top of my head that. Do that? Oh no,
0: there are music videos where you get this really quick, yeah. quick flashes of things that's going on, and everything. But then you settle in on an artist singing or musician yeah. playing.
1: And this happen, like this happens as like transitions between scenes throughout the movie, and it makes no fucking sense. Like
0: here, it's the I think it's the longest <laughs> at like a few seconds. But then there's sometimes like it's barely a second, and like and you go from one scene to the other, and you ask yourself, why was that done? Yes. And you just and so Jamie. Um, is given her baby back by a nurse who is uh, uh, a midwife his, yeah a midwife there. she
1: sees what's going on she doesn't think it's right I guess
0: helps her escape but she believes she's being followed at the same time because Michael Myers in the producer's cut is on his way we do not see him yet but in both versions really yeah but like we don't in the producer's cut we see him like Walk up to a gate. the Gate opens and he walks through. We do, yeah. Oh, all right. And the theatrical cut, it's like we're in there. And it's the midwife stopping in that mid hall in that hallway. And he's coming. Yeah, and then it's just like where you have these weird spikes on the, on the wall for no apparent reason. This
1: is like some. This is like a
0: uh,
1: a tunnel exit.
0: Yeah, and you want. I, I do not know what kind of aesthetic or practical purpose these spikes are there, other than this kill. Because I guess it's
1: for the homeless people that live in there to hang their coat.
0: Yeah, and because Michael. Pops out of the darkness, kind of trying to, like, do that that fade-in effect from, like, in the original Halloween. Michael grabs the midwife, picks her up, and just shoves her head into – the back of her head into this pipe. Now, that,
1: when he had his hand around her neck, that was the back screen cap on the back of the VHS cover I'd seen. It was from, like, a cameraman that had the camera, I guess, right in front of that, Mm -hmm. off-screen. The whole – everything we've seen so far is very much straying from Daniel Farren's original vision. He did not envision it of being, like, a Temple of Doom – literally old world style cult. He had it as more of a Rosemary's baby type thing where it's m- modernized. These people are normal, but they have this worship that causes them to, I guess, I guess the word would be kill mm-hmm. or they they have little regard for human life based on the, their belief. So from this point on, Jamie escapes. She manages to get out. It's, it's night before Halloween. It's fucking thunderstorming, torrential downpour. Michael is following behind. She manages to get into a car, I guess, uh, on the outskirts of the hospital. We, uh, that's the thing, though. We really don't know location yet. We don't know that we're in the fucking Smiths Grove. Sanitary. No, we just
0: think we're just outside of an industrial building at this point. Yeah,
1: so she managed to get away. I don't know how far she's really got. There's no idea of place, but there's some, like, I guess, guy you know, with a pickup truck with his fucking RV parked there drinking on the side of the road or whatever.
0: For the longest time I, since I found out this was a hospital, I thought he was, like, a security employee out there or something like that, but, like, he's drinking beer. If he is, he's drinking on
1: the job, and he don't give a shit no more. Yeah, because he's
0: wearing the, um... A poncho. yellow a poncho, pon- yeah. yellow poncho. Is that yellow? I thought it was clear.
1: Was it? I, I thought it was clear. All right, maybe it's clear. Maybe my mind
0: is going. But, like, he sees Jamie get into his truck, and he starts yelling, Hey, get the hell out of my truck. What Why are you do? doing in
1: my truck? And she's trying to scream through the windows that are closed. Like,
0: he's coming. Oh, my God.
1: Like, frantically. And he can't, she, she can't, he can't hear her over the storm. And finally, as it gets closer to her, she looks at him and just starts screaming, and Michael strikes, grabs the guy, breaks his neck. In the theatrical cut, well, the things they added in was more scenes of gore, yeah. much like in Halloween 4, right, where the guy's neck is broken and and the head, like, snapped off the spine, the spine juts, th- the yeah, bloody spine juts through the top of the head. shot
0: of, of more gore of that. Um, with
1: uh, those gore effects done by, by Brad, Brad Harden. Brad Harden. Special effects and makeup, who during the reshoots actually was a stand-in for some second unit shots at uh, Smith's Grove during yeah, the Yeah, because for
0: the reshoots, Wilward did not come back to play Michael Myers. Nope,
1: they had another person. More on that later.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so, Jamie knows how to drive now, much like I her uncle, just gets, uh, um, Turns on the car, gets in the gear, and drives away. She's in a
1: pretty empty Midwest highway, so I guess, like, I don't know. I guess, like, she's watched people do it long enough she could figure it out without crashing the car. I don't know.
0: Right. And so, at the same time, we cross-cut to two stories. We have what's going on in the Strode residence. Uh, Danny, who is being plagued by a man in black. The man in black. The Strode residence, which is the former Myers residence. Yeah. The Myers
1: house has been purchased by Strode Realty, uh, the character of John Strode, brother of... Laurie Strode's father in the first one, and his family have moved into the old Meyer house. Uh, Danny, the young boy, we actually have a shot leading up to it, similar but not exact to the original opening of Halloween. Uh, his daughter, Kara, her son, Danny, he sleeps in the same room Michael Myers did. He has the same room, and he has these nightmares of voices telling him, kill for him, kill right. for him. In his room, he sees a man, the man in black standing there holding a knife saying, kill for him. And he screams mommy,
0: you know. Witch car comes in and calms down saying, there's nobody there. Everything's fine. And well, the more we say the man in black, the man in black. Here comes, comes the, the man, man in, in black. black. Galaxy defenders. I, I wish I could have had someone neuralize me with the feelings of the memories of this movie Purse away. Of
1: Thorn Offender. Okay.
0: <claps> Woohoo! ha-ha. And so we see Red Power Ranger is one of the toys. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, I had a, I had a blue one. I had a blue ranger one. You never had one of those. I never ones. had
1: that. That's I had the little like five inch action figures. These were like the ten inch ones. They were like ten bucks each. So, yeah. They, and I wanted all six, so that wasn't happening. And right. the green ranger, actually, five of them, but the green ranger one only came with the dragon sword. So that was like thirty bucks.
0: Do you remember so, the, the TV spots for the action figures of the dragon swords? Fuck and everything? yeah! And, 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 and like it all ends with like the. Like, hey, are you watching, driving? I thought you were. Uh Uh-oh. And they come crashing through the wall, and it's just a kid watching, like, seeing his room destroyed. I'll tell you guys a
1: little tidbit. The Toys R Us I used to visit all the time, seeing the first wave of Power Ranger toys that came out spoiled the reveal of the Green Ranger for me, because there was the Dragon Sword with Green Ranger, and I'm like, oh, my God. I looked at my great aunt, like, baby, there's going to be a Green Ranger, and he's got, oh, my God. Was not shown on TV yet. No. So... The first instance of toilers for oh, you. Of toilers for me. And so... Well, this scene where Kara comes in, it's extended a little more in the producer's cut. That's one of the things in the theatrical cut. There are many, many trimmings of scenes. I never noticed the effect they had on the pace until I really sat and watched... Like, until I saw the Blu-ray release of the producer's cut. When you really sit and you watch it and you realize, holy shit, there's a lot of character stuff that's kind of missing here.
0: And yet the thing is, I think the, sec- the producer's cut goes by a lot faster.
1: It's actually longer. The, um, the producers' cut, producers' cut is an hour and thirty-five minutes long. whereas the theatrical cut is an hour and twenty-eight minutes long. Hmm. And it's got a shorter ending.
0: Yeah. I, well, wait. Wait. Theatrical has a shorter ending. I always feel like the climb- is, no producers' cut is a shorter ending. Okay, because it feels like yeah, because like the climax of the theatrical cut goes on a lot longer, but. Um,
1: and she she has a thing where she where she says to like, like her son you know tries to comfort his mommy you know says a little poem stay away monsters stay away ghouls leave Danny alone you're, you're just the rules. Rules. it's a sweet little thing yeah there's a lot of little moments like that that really get you into the characters heads that are missing in the right. actual cut.
0: Because it could so easily just be cardboard cutouts of characters that you don't give a shit about.
1: Yes. And at the same time, too, to be fair, even with the producers cut, they don't really go into them enough to really understand everything that's going on. I remember you asking, like, what is John Strode's problem with his daughter?
0: Yeah. And I'm trying to
1: explain to you, and I'm, like, pulling – You're grabbing straws of am Eventually, eventually I'm, like, I'm like a magician just pulling the never-ending handkerchief out of my ass.
0: Yeah, in the hopes to find an answer. But Kara goes back to room, and she's listening to the – Back talk ra- with Barry Sins. Yes, the, the shock shock of the Halloween universe. And so – And he's
1: coming to Haddonfield for the college students' protest of the banning of Halloween. Right. He's going to be there. Um, he's doing an entire special on Halloween. He's taking calls from people. You know, she's listening. She's getting ready for bed. Kara, we find out, is a you know single mother, older, and going back to college, trying to rebuild her life. We don't really know much about her past. We don't know what she did. Apparently, she I guess she had a son at a young age. Yeah, had a falling out with her family, disappeared, came back, and is now trying to make things right.
0: Right, and everybody seems to have opened up with open arms, with the exception of her father, who (laughs) finds it is very. Their relationship is contentious, to say the least.
1: Yes. So she's getting undressed, getting ready for bed. In her brawn underwear and kind of has this weird feeling like she's got like almost a sixth sense like Lori does of someone watching her. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe she was listening to Rockwell
0: a lot. Uh, Now
1: I feel like somebody's watching watching me. me.
0: Anyhow, so she goes. uh, And the other side of the uh, street we hear, uh, we just imagine Tommy Doros like listening to every breath you take. I'll masturbate to
1: you. Uh, She goes to look out her window and sees a person over there.
0: Spying on her house with a telescope. It was a camera with a telephoto lens, very much like how Jimmy Stewart looks like in Rear Window. Uh huh. That's not the only Rear Window kind of moment. There is a Rear Window. Uh, ha- he moment. was looking at her rear window. Oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, and so, and like she catches him being a peeping tom at this point, and he does not like, oh shit, and dives out the window. No, he just stares back at her until he- she closes her own blinds. That's
1: because he only has one level of emotion. It's blah. Yes. Like I don't know if it was just Paul. I don't know if it was Paul Rudd. If it was Ben, because Paul Rudd's gone on to have a successful acting career. I think been a decent actor. Yeah, I don't know if it was. Just, it, it
0: must have been shit on the page, or he got nothing from Joe Chappelle as a, as a director. Just
1: there's so many. There are so many scenes in this fucking movie where you look at the expression on Tommy Doe's face, and you and you play guess the emotion. <laughs> what is he feeling
0: in this scene? That's a cool drinking game you could probably like, or just a game. You have games. to be
1: drunk to play it. So. Yeah,
0: and because. He's staying. He's on. He's on hold to talk to Barry Sims, which he does. He's, he's listening he, to the
1: whole thing. He's got these like gigantic fucking tape recorders, like too. Three like three inch. Uh, I, I, I used to just pop a real freaking, I used to just pop a freaking cassette into my boombox in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, as if I wanted to tape something off the radio. And it's just, like, it's this huge, like, reel-to-reels. He's got this computer, which I'm sure... Co- all these things must have... Back in the day, it must have cost a pretty fucking penny.
0: And the thing is, a part of the set design <sighs> of his apartment is that, like, there's a bump... A sticker that says, Die, y- Yuppie Scum. It's on his fridge. Yeah.
1: He's got newspaper clippings all over the place. Even on his ceiling of Michael Myers. And production design, we could tell, did a good job. because it's, like it's like the same five. Yeah. It's the one Michael Myers dead or alive that you see in like four different places in a single shot.
0: Right. (laughs) And and then there's another big thing that we point out a lot in both cuts of this movie is that candles.
1: All over the fucking place.
0: Everywhere there's candles lit. And I'm like, who's lighting these things? And I can kind of tell like if this guy came from music videos, I can see that. Why? Because you think of like a lot of Michael Bay movies do the same thing. Like all of a sudden there's uh, dozens of candles because it looks cool. I'm like. Why would somebody do this? Why would somebody go to the effort of lighting They wouldn't do it because it's not... Oh.
1: I don't know. Anyhow, moving on. So Tommy talks to Barry, you know, tells him, Oh, I was only eight years old when I saw Michael Myers, but I was one of the lucky ones. You know, he's trying to tell him that Michael's business is not finished. He will return one day. And Barry just writes him off as being another nut job. Yeah. So he continues taking calls. And we get a shot inside an old-style looking house, you know dimly fireplace lit, and we hear the sound of a typewriter going on as the camera's panning. Pans over, there's an old man there, typing on the typewriter. And a caller says, hey, Barry, wherever happened to the psychiatrist of his, Loomis? Oh, I heard the old quack was dead. This old man that's typing is Dr. Loomis. He has a quick chuckle, ha-ha, not dead, but very much retired. Yes. Instantaneously, you see this is a very different Loomis from the past two movies. Yeah. Where you had Loomis that, in number four, that was just you know a, a man on a mission to keep michael contained i'm him. telling
0: you michael myers is here in this town
1: that was on a, a man on a mission to keep michael myers contained that containment failed and he had to go at a moment's notice to try and stop him <gasps> to halloween 5 to a completely fucking unhinged nut that like lost all semblance of sanity And lost himself in this. Who, at the end of Halloween 5, it was believed that Dr. Loomis had died at the end of the fight when he collapses on top of Michael and just...
0: (laughs) Yeah, which we find out he just had a stroke and that's why he's like... and. In this one, Loomis, he seems so much more
1: at, at peace, almost like levels of acceptance. Like I said about Michael Corleone and his development in Halloween 4, he's very much like Corleone at the end. He knows what he has to do. To, to stop the other families so that his can survive. Loomis knows what just do He has to stop Michael so the people can survive. In Halloween 5, Michael Corleone goes to any lengths to, you ensure know, the fact ensure after his life has been already been threatened at the beginning and he ends up having to do something horrible like killing his own brother, going further than he ever believed he could Im- imagine he ever would be able to. Where in Halloween 5, look at the lengths Loomis goes to. He plays fucking a game of chicken with a little girl. In the Myers house, have you know been beaten down, broken, and now in this one, it's like the beginning of Godfather Part Three, where he's put it all behind him, done everything he can to turn his life around. Loomis is, Loomis is smiling, he's chuckling, he's laughing. He gets a knock on his door.
0: Come and knock on my door. Da, 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 it's da, da, da. not. Yeah. Oh, I just came over. The sh- yeah, the shakiest gun in the West himself. No, it's not. is Terrence Wynn. Dr. Wynn,
1: as we said earlier, played by Mitch Ryan, the uh, colleague he was arguing with at the beginning of Halloween. <clears throat> it would have been something if in the next scene we really could have gotten an idea of like, who he was, like reminding us who this character was. Um. Dr. Wynn comes in there and says, oh, there's not even a road, a road sign for five miles. And Loomis, smiling. What's the benefit
0: it, of living as, out in the country?
1: the beauty of living in the countryside. I thought he's, he seems like a happy old grandfather at this point. It's its the most opposite we've ever seen Dr. Loomis before.
0: And it's nice to see that he's found a place of acceptance it's, of it's, him. Yes,
1: acceptance and peace.
0: And the reason why Wynn has made his, his appearance here is because he's retiring from Smith's Grove and he wants Loomis to take over for him.
1: Initially, he doesn't put that. out In the theatrical, he doesn't fully put that out there. This scene is a lot, a lot longer in the producer's cut, and for it, it should have stayed longer. Um, in the producer's cut, Doctor Win, after he gets in, you know, he says his hello's with Loomis. He says, "Sam, you look great." Doctor Loomis says, "Oh yeah, I had uh, plastic surgery, skin grafts, to explain why he doesn't have the burns on himself anymore. It cost a fortune, but I don't care children anymore." In the theatrical cut, that could be considered a plot hole, whereas Dr. Loomis's burns, you know? Yeah,
0: and I think it was just for, in a production standpoint, I'm just guessing here, not have to put Loomis through that kind of preparation every Donald day. Plessis, yeah. yeah. for uh, Don Plessis through that kind of rigorous makeup every day.
1: I look at it also, too, from a writing standpoint, as symbolic. Like, his scars- the Are phys- gone, yeah. The physical scars are gone as he tries to improve the mental ones. You know, they're laughing, they're joking together, talking. They have Having a, a drink. They have a drink where, in the producer's cut, um, Dr. Wynn, you know, you know Loomis asks Oh, you never know, I've never known you to make house calls, especially at this hour. It's like, Oh, well, it's a special occasion. He, you know, he breaks out the, what is it, the bourbon or the brandy or whatever. Yeah, I think it's brandy. They pour each other a glass. He says, After, guess who's retiring after as chief director of Smith Grove after 30 something years? And Loomis' response, Good God. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, like, oh, congratulations. I wish you the best once again. You know, it's it's, it's happy Loomis. Yeah. We've never seen happy Loomis before. No,
0: this is the first time we've seen happy Loomis, even in the first Halloween.
1: Yep. And the one thing he says in, when he says in both cuts is that I want you to come back to Smith Groves with me. Loomis says immediately his demeanor changes. And he says it's not wise to pray, play Halloween pranks on me. He says, no, this is no prank. You're, I want you. It's bizarre because why would you have someone that's clearly older than you and been through the shit they've been through? Why would you ask them to come back and direct this? Yeah. Directive, you know, mental. Which I'll
0: bring up again at the end of the producer's cut.
1: There is a reason why. More on that later. We're not going to spoil anything big yet. There is a reason why. But in the producer's cut, Loomis actually explains a lot. He says, after my stroke six years ago, which, as you said before, at the end of Halloween 5, he had a stroke. For my strokes, excuse, they practically had to have a pist- put a pistol to my head to get me to retire. Right. So Loomis was was essentially, you know, forced to retire, really against his will. But he found a semblance of peace in it, and he said, "I buried it all, buried it in the past, in this manuscript." Loomis had been typing up his memoirs. Yeah. He even says, with a with a reluctant "I don't want to practice medicine anymore." Their cheerful moment is interrupted on the radio because, because
0: Jamie has made. Shortly
1: before that, Jamie has made
0: her way to a highway rest stop. And she has listened while she got to the rest up. She tried to find somebody to help her, but the only attendant that would be there at night to put up a sign says back in 20.
1: He had the radio on listening uh, to, to
0: backtalk. Yeah, everybody seems to be listening to backtalk. Even that,
1: Dr. Loomis was like, uh, Dr. Wynn even said, like, oh, what do you listen to this guy? Oh, there's a program on Heddenfield. It's like, it's flimsy, but okay. No, 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 like he's put it behind him, but there's always a part of him. I, I don't feel that's flimsy at all for Dr. Loomis because even though he's put it behind him, there's all. O- it consumes his life to a degree where it'll never truly be gone from him. Right. It's, it's like a veteran. Yeah. You know?
0: And so Jamie calls like into Barry Sims to say that Michael's still alive. Doctor Loomis, please help me. Barry Sims is not believer as to be Jamie Lloyd. He's coming. He's coming. And But Tommy Doyle and Loomis both realize exactly who she is and are both are put into action because of that. Loomis, like... Gets on his jacket and pulls out his old six-shooter. This was
1: in the producer's cut only, where yeah. lo- the scene of Loomis taking his old pistol out of the box with the ammo, And the way he looks up at the camera, it, it, he has the old Loomis face and an exhale of, I don't know what's going to happen. It reminded me of, as you said before, I thought I was out, but they pulled, pulled me, me back in. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. The Michael Corleone moment.
0: Right. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. hoo ha Hoo-ah, hoo-ah. And so Michael has shown up to the bus depot, and uh, Jamie is taking refri- uh, uh, refuge in the, uh, the refuge, woman's bathroom. Yeah. She
1: went down there, she wa- washed the bloody thorn symbol off her baby. She's having what would be her only real mother's child moment, cradling the baby in her arms, and then all of a sudden the power goes out. Mm-hmm. We hear footsteps and a familiar. <sighs> Breathing,
0: and, and a similar silhouette comes down the stairs and starts looking through all the stalls. But we see where Jamie is hiding in one of them.
1: Now, this, I believe, in the producer's cut was extended a little for suspense.
0: Yeah, and it, it definitely seems more effective that way. But we go through all the stalls, and we end up in the final stall.
1: Where there's an open window. Yeah. Jamie's escaped.
0: And she's back in the truck, and she's driving away, and we find out there is a gray van following her with two drivers. Yeah, in but the Blu-ray this, Ray
1: release, you can actually see two people in the yeah, van.
0: Yeah, there's a driver, and I presume that's a, a camera operator operating a point-of-view camera in the passenger seat. As Jamie's pickup truck is knocked off the road into a farm and crashes into a a pile of pumpkins. uh, I believe there
1: was a fan theory that this was the tower farm. Really? Yeah.
0: It's possible. Yeah, there's no reason why it could not be, or it could be the farms we see at the beginning of Halloween 4. Yep. Um,
1: And so... Well, we don't know where those are, but regardless. I mean, and the van had a Smith's Grove logo on it, if you look carefully.
0: Right, and Jamie hides in the... Gets out.
1: Yep, gets out, goes into the farm to hide. Here's where things things go (coughs) very differently. In the theatrical cut, the already heavily reduced role of Jamie Lloyd is reduced even further. She's walking through as quietly as she can. You know, there's a flash of lightning where you see Michael standing in the background. So it's like, you know, he's there. This had a degree of suspense to it, I think. Um, I'd say maybe a little more effective than the producer's cut. She's walking through, steps on a stick, immediately knows, oh shit. Turns around, there he is right in her face. Grabs her, pushes her back, and impales her on a fucking wheat thresher. It's with, like, the three blades. It looks like three hedge trimmer blades. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But she's not dead.
1: Yep. Not yet. She looks at her, holds out, like, her arms, almost like she wants to, like, embrace her. He holds out his arms the same way, too, and then pushes her down even further.
0: Right. And then, with her dying breath, says, like... You can't have the baby, Michael.
1: You can't have the baby. And
0: Michael turns on the thresher. Turns
1: on the wheat thresher. This the... This is the violent part of this. The the gore of this was cut. A couple of frames were trimmed from the theatrical version, you know, by the MPAA. Yeah. And Jamie is killed. Michael goes back to the truck, finds uh, what she was holding the baby in, and there's a roll of paper towels in there, which he angrily throws down. Now, in the producer's cut, we get something very different. She sneaks into the barn, turns around a corner... And Michael stabs her in the stomach. Yeah. Where she drops to the ground and says, you can't have the baby, Michael. You can't have the baby. And he leaves her for dead. Where, then it cuts to going to the truck, finding the paper towels and throwing it down.
0: Right. Because because in the producer's cut going forward, Janie's still alive. She's found alive at the, at the farm.
1: She, she lives through about half the movie. Yes. So now um, cut to... It is now morning in Haddonfield. Outside the Strode residence. Outside the Strode, Myers former house. Myers residence. As it pans downward, there's a Strode Realty sign. It's taped to the Strode Realty sign. There's a cardboard cutout of a person holding a knife with a pale white face on it, with, written in what looks like red paint, it's supposed to be one so saying, he's thing. He coming. He, he's coming. Off screen, we hear a very angry man go, enough with this Michael what? Myers bullshit. bullshit. It's John Strode. He's at every time between words. He's hitting the sign.
0: with an axe cut.
1: He's hitting the sign with an axe to chop this little thing down. He's in his robe and his slippers. He looks over at a bunch of kids that put in their life. And you sticking kids got about three seconds to get the hell off my property? He starts counting angrily. So he picks up the sign, you know, walks it back to the porch. That's when we get the big wide shot of the street block.
0: Yeah. And we get the titles of Halloween. Hadn't Halloween.
1: like the original. And we hear what was Laurie's theme, the do-do-do-do. That returns. And that's where we see, you know, how... How I I'm still gonna say as I said before how both the house and the street block are a very very good substitute for what we got in the original. Looks pretty close. It looks like it. it looks like how I feel like it would after 17 years if there were you know houses renovated and stuff like this.
0: Right, and so we have um, probably the second worst breakfast in the Halloween franchise. Yep, the worst breakfast is yet to come. The Strode family having
1: breakfast. Um, this scene and the producer's cut kind is of extended a little more. With uh, the character Tim, uh, Kara's brother, making his famous Tim, Tim Strode's st- stomach pounder, like breakfast shake. Yeah, just like everything thrown into <laughs> a blender. and it's, it's like- Well, yes, it's literally everything thrown into a blender. Yeah, and just
0: like just, – just, just, it's like, just such a thing like – you've done that. You must have done that before, but, like throwing just a bunch of shit in the blender to see how, if you can withstand it. I never have, actually. Well, I, I, my sister and I have done that at least a few times, just throwing a bunch of crap in there and see what it tastes like.
1: I drew straw vegetables. That's close enough. Yeah, but this, hes on the phone at the same time talking to his girlfriend Beth. Yeah. Talking about the the uh, big event at the college later—the right. the Barry Sims episode. Um, he's making one for Danny. The two of them are dressed exactly the same. They have you know jeans, like a flannel shirt because this was the '90s, and yeah. an orange shirt that says Barry kicks ass on it. Yeah. An eight-year-old boy has a shirt that says Barry kicks ass.
0: Wouldn't get away with that today going to school with that.
1: Absolutely not. But that little scene was actually cut out of the cut out of the theatrical version. At the dinner table, at the breakfast table, Kara's you know seems to be cramming, having a you know morning cram session for work. She's school. there with her, her mother, Deborah, mm-hmm. for work. For yes, for school.
0: But I, we've all been there, doing, like, all right, last minute things. Like I've studied, like looking at my notes of a test, going walking into the class, like all right, uh yes, 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 all right. That's the last little bit I'm going to get to uh, cram in before I go for a test. And and she also has a term paper that is due that day. And we have a little nice cool interaction between her and her mother, played by Kim Darby. And it's interrupted this nice sincere moment between mother and daughter by the father, the patriarch of the family, coming in and ruining it with his general attitude and shittiness towards his Daughter and grandson. And even by nephew,
1: nice little scene with nephew and uncle when when Danny takes the Tim Strode stomach powder challenge and fails when he just cringes after drinking it. But yes, John Strode comes in with his suit on, ready for breakfast, say, Damn little shits, I really show you know, he's proud that it, it made a bunch of kids walk away. <coughs> and say, his wife says, you know, it, it is your typical, like, shitty American fa- family where the father's just a fucking abusive piece of shit.
0: Yeah. Hey, John, they were just kids. Oh,
1: kids, my dear, are what's ruining America? Where Tim then belches and he says, I rest my case.
0: Yeah, he's he is atypical of a baby boomer generation saying it's all these damn kids ruining the world. Yep.
1: When his was the first generation that had labor laws. Yeah. So he didn't have to work in a fucking mine or on a farm like my grandfather had to when yeah. he was a boy. For all the boomers listening, fuck oh, you! Exactly. No, I'm just kidding. If, if if you like Halloween, I hope you're cool. Baby. Yeah, I don't know.
0: And, but it, the the argument between that he gets so nasty that um call that that John calls his grandson a bastard because he has no father at the point, and that Carrie gets up and defend him, and her fucking father slaps her right in front of everybody.
1: When she says, "I see," when the argument starts, because because they're trying to get you know. The mom's trying to get Kara to eat something. Like, oh, you'll never pass a test on an empty stomach. What are they teaching you? She's uh, doing, like, psychology. It's like, what are they teaching you at school? It's like, oh, living in this family is enough to make you crazy. Mm-hmm. And the father says, well, who asked you to come back here? You know, you don't see your family for five years. You just show up and expect us to roll out the red carpet for you. Well, you show up with you and that little bastard. He says, that he calls his grandson essentially a bastard for everyone. She stands up and says, I see one bastard in this house. He slaps her in the fucking face. He if you ever talk to me like that, again, that's that's also after uh, the mother, Deborah, slides her a $20 bill. He says, oh, that's right. Keep sliding of the money. Here. How about you give her all our – he empties his pockets and throws a bunch of dollar bills at his wife. Yeah. Give her all our damn money.
0: Says, Why don't you leave her alone? Yeah. And like in the producer's cut, Danny hears the, the man in black again so, saying – for
1: him. He looks out the window and there's Michael Myers out there. But in the theatrical cut, I think this is more effective in the theatrical cut. Because you're not nothing about it is set up. No. But you know that Danny, you already know that Danny is hearing voices. But in this particular scene, nothing is set up. No. What happens next is that all of a sudden, as John Strodes yelling at his daughter, everyone comes to a quick, pause, shocked pause, looks down. Danny's holding a knife to his father, to his grandfather's stomach. Yeah. With a with a blank, pale, emotionless face on it. John immediately like backs off, backs
0: up. And Kara takes knives. So is like it's he okay. Knife. It's okay, yeah. And the the, the, the situation de- de-escalated when they leave, when Kara, uh, Tim, and... Beth uh, and- ar- Beth arrives, you know. They
1: go outside. She's the blo- Beth sees the bloody nose that Kara has from being slapped by her father. Right. There's another episode of Father Knows Best at the Strode House, at which point Tim sneaks up from behind and grabs Beth in, like, a hug. And the producer's cut, it's just a very quick thing. In the fucking theatrical cut, it's a fucking jump scare. With a stinger. This is where the beginning of jump scares with stingers and the ho- per- pervading the Halloween franchise
0: began. Right, and, and, and I have H2- no,
1: H2O was overblown with these.
0: I have no problem with the jump scare with a stinger attached with it to accentuate it, if it's genuine. I've said mm-hmm. it before, this is not a genuine one. It's a false scare. It's a false scare. That's the thing that pisses me off. Yep. And I know a lot of people say, like, well, jump scares is boring. I'm like, jump scares fucking work as long as it's, they're done... You you earn them. This is not earned. This I feel is like
1: I feel like, I feel like nowadays, just w- when you when you look at like the uh, found footage genre, where everything is a fucking jump scare, like boom, yeah. Oh, what was it? Boom. You know, and right. you're sitting there waiting. Like I feel like almost now, audiences over the past ten years have been conditioned to where if it's not a jump scare, it's not scary.
0: Right. But then you have something that this year's. Uh, I think my favorite movie this year thus far is Hereditary, which is there's a lot of young people trashing that. It- I had a ni- I had nightmares for that night after seeing it, and like there's like maybe one or two jump scares in it, but it is it is earned. And the first two thirds of that movie is it's all build up and character based. So when shit hits the fan, it's you earn it. Yeah, it's a slow fucking burn. In the it is 21st century's version of Rosemary's Baby. That's the that's my best way to say. it. A lot of people are saying it's The Exorcist. I'm like no, it's more Rosemary's Baby than that. And is so unnerving, and I say, if, you, if you're if you unsure of saying it, I promise you, you will have a good time. Go see Hereditary.
1: Yes. I, I would say, like, all just the jump scares and the music stabs make me just hate life as it is. Yes. And so they go their separate way. Like, they all get in the car. You know, they're on the way to college. Yeah. And they pass by the Blankenship House. <laughs> where, uh, Kara sends Danny off on the bus. They pass by the Blankenship House where Kara's looking up at the window. Who's that creepy guy up there?
0: Yeah, the, the, the fucking oh, scarecrow in the window, uh, Tommy Doyle just staring down like that.
1: He's just standing in the window staring at them as they pass by. No no subterfuge like, oh, look at me, you know, I'm just
0: like... Uh, he's I'm like, a- he's standing there like he is Michael Myers at that point.
1: Yes, and it's like, oh my God, they, they uh... Beth tells her, oh, that's Tommy, it's supposedly some scary shit happened to him once, you know, he, he he's a little weird, but he's harmless. Maybe he's just lonely, and Tim says, or horny... Probably both. Tim is like your 90s fucking, like, just weird guy.
0: Yeah, bruh.
1: Your 90s, like, I don't want to say burnout, but...
0: No, but he is, like, kind of like... He is this movie's butthead of this movie. Like, not in a butthead, like, as in, like, a term, like, a being a bully, but, like, like, as in Beeves and butthead.
1: And, like, 90s delinquent almost, but he is... Delinquent attitude, but is a good kid.
0: Right. And so, they go off to, um... They go off to college to see and go their separate ways. In the producer's cut, um, there's more of extended scenes of like of Kara going to class, and there's this uh, very creepy atmosphere. I feel like she's being
1: watched. Kara is having a bad day at this point. She's looking for a term paper. It falls out of her all her her bag, like opens and falls out there in, right in there, a melodramatic the melodramatic
0: fashion. She's like, Ugh. "Ugh."
1: But in her bag, she had a drawing that Danny made. That in the beginning, she picked up off the floor. It's a picture. Like a, a child's drawing picture of all his family being killed with a big symbol called Thorn next yeah. to it. It's like, and it has the Thorn symbol on the back of it. It's like, wow, your boy has odd imaginations. Like, you've been having nightmares lately.
0: Which Tim says, uh, I, think, <laughs> I think it's cool. Yeah, like, you're so stabbed to that guy in that photo, in that, in that drawing.
1: Yeah. So they walk off. She's still looking at this thing, you know, looking around, walking, walking through the campus in the producer's cut. We see her walking more throughout the building. It's very, it's very Laurie Strode-ish. The scenes of Laurie walking alone, looking around, feeling like something's off, like she's being watched. Kara, she hears like a loud scream, but it's just two, you know, two college students, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, just playing around. Yeah. She looks, but you know, sees everything's okay, but still, there's an uneasy feeling to her.
0: Right, and, and then we cut to the bus depot. Uh, no, we cut to back to Tom Doyle re-listening to the recording he made last night of the Barry Sims show realizing in the background that there is a... I think a, that
1: might have actually came first. What? But I'm not sure. That might have came first, but I'm not sure. So,
0: yeah, he figures out that that Jamie was calling from the bus depot, and she, he goes there and investigates. He
1: hears in the recording as she's talking in the background um, bus stops over the PA. He has to, like, rewind it, listen to it back again. So he discuss- goes to the bus terminal, and where he's walking around, goes up to the front desk, and...
0: Uh, Let's reenact it, okay? You'll be the you be the Bus Depot guy. I'll be telling you. Okay? There's a visual
1: aspect to it. There's a visual aspect to it that's going to be lost on the... I know. Can I help you, sir?
0: Did yes. A bu- did the no.
1: bus leave here from Pontiac last night? Yeah, uh, yes. Oh, yes, I did, sir. Uh, is there anything I can help you with? Thank, Thank you. you. Blank- when the guy asks him, how can I help you, it's like... It, oh, it's it, like,
0: he's... He, he's- it's like when the guy at
1: Best Buy fucking asks me <laughs> if I could help him and my, like, reaction. Oh, the reaction I at least want to give, but I'm too polite to give. It's just yeah,
0: the- he's like he's comprehending English for the first time that moment. He's
1: comprehending human interaction for the first time in his fucking life. Like, what, what, what is this thing, and what, what are these sounds that are coming at it towards me?
0: Uh, that He goes to investigate the phone booth, sees a trail of blood left by Jamie. Goes and clearly down- nobody noticed. No, no
1: janitors noticed. Nobody that like opened the building noticed.
0: Goes down to the women's bathroom and finds our protagonist
1: sneaks into the women's bathroom and uh, starts touching blood in a sink. Yeah. So not only is he stupid, but he's also a sex pervert. He watches women. It is wow. Tommy Doyle really. This this really is a Harvey Weinstein production. It's just peep. He's a peeping tom who goes in the women's bathroom. And he steals babies.
0: Yeah, he steals babies.
1: Um, as Tommy's investigating the woman's bathroom, probably looking looking for some action, he <sighs> hears the sound of a baby crying. Opens up a cabinet. The ba- Jamie's baby. She left him in the bathroom while Overnight, she escaped. Overnight. Overnight. heard him. Yep. I, I mean, I guess she figured maybe if he cries loud enough when he's hungry, the fucking attendant will hear, the, the guy at the desk.
0: Yeah. And so they he finds... He finds- the baby and he goes to the hospital well
1: before that uh in the producer's cut there's a heavily several loomis scenes have now been cut from this point um, there's one when loomis goes back to smith's grove with dr Wynne. uh With the intention, I guess, of getting everything they know about Michael together, getting all the information they can.
0: And the same exterior for the hospital in daytime and nighttime later on in the producer's cut is the same place as Richmond from Halloween 4. This was
1: left out of the theatrical cut. Why? I don't know. Maybe just trimmings here and there. Right. But Loomis explains to Dr. Wynn, like, that was her. You know, he's back. I can't do this alone. We know that, like, from what we know to Loomis from before, he's moved on. You kind of see old Loomis coming back, kind of, but he's just a tired, weathered old man at this point. He just, he he can't do this again.
0: He doesn't have the strength to do it. Even though he wants to, he can't.
1: He needs help, and that's where he asks Dr. Wynn, you know, for help. They go into Dr. Wynn's office, uh, they meet his secretary, you know, he you know, Loomis is very polite, we haven't seen this out of little usually Loomis is just being, an, being a fucking cold to everyone he meets that we've seen, but he's like very smart, smile- he smiles, he bows, he's very polite. The receptionist. And mm-hmm. Dr. Wynn says, guess everything that you have, treatments, documents on on the former patient of ours, Michael Myers. At which point, the uh, his secretary says, Michael Myers? Is something wrong? That called Jamie Lloyd. Her body was found near Haddonfield last night. Dr. Lim says, I want place on 24-hour lockdown. Down Wynn says to- this. Wynn says this. Place on code red, 24-hour lockdown. If that maniac's out there, I'm going to find him and bring him back. Another in the cut only. In the producer's cut only. Another scene in the producer's cut from the, to the point we're at in the theatrical is where they go to the outskirts of Haddonfield, what I believe is the Tower Farm. There's a little bit of this in the theatrical where they get there. There's Jamie's body being carried out, and the thorn symbol is burned into a large stack of hay.
0: Yeah.
1: hey, <clears throat> hey. There's more of this, though, where the authorities see Dr. Loomis there. He talks to one of the Haddonfield officers. I don't know if this is the new sheriff. Presumably. It, it can be presumed. These people have no fucking patience. They don't want to see this fucking no. guy. They want to go. This is – this is. It, it's not like where Halloween 4, it's like, oh, my God, we got to – No, like, because – It's we, not like Halloween 4 where it's like, oh, man, this can't be real, but let's do this anyway. Or Halloween 5 where it's like, oh, man, we just put up with this crazy old guy because we don't see him. Wherever warm. he
0: goes, death follows. He's, the, he's an omen for that town at the It point. is now
1: to the point where the authorities are, get the fuck away from here, essentially. Yeah.
0: He's a cancer on the town. Get the
1: fuck away from me, he said. He said, you know, it's been quiet for six years. We don't want... Because the
0: entire police force died twice because of him.
1: What was uh, the line he said? We don't want you out here spouting ghost stories. Where Loomis was spotted. I suppose that was a ghost who did this. I suppose that's a ghost being carried out of here. Right. And that scene, of course, was cut. Because Joe Chappelle, thank you. Thank you for being a douche. Mm -hmm. But, anywho, they win and Loomis... We will find out in a moment. Have followed Jamie to the hospital. They're there with her. Um, Loomis, before they left the farm, Loomis sees Jamie's body, and he's he's just he's lamenting. He feels such a high degree of guilt. Once again, this is a different. This is a different Loomis. There's hints of old Loomis, but he's a very sad, regretful, broken old man in this one. It's- uh,
0: I just wonder if that fact would have hit more if. Daniel Harris was still playing Jamie at this point. I think it
1: would, not only for him, but for the fans. Yeah. For the fans to see that after the six years, you know, this this almost adult actress and playing this character that we, you know, we grown, loved We've seen her
0: grown up, pretty we've much. We've seen
1: like, her grown up on screen, you know, in the role that made her a star with an actor who was a friend of hers to her and Donald Pleasants became friends on, on set right. in the shooting of Four and Five, like their last on-screen moment together.
0: Oof. No, it, be... it feels
1: like a wasted opportunity, yeah. but fucking added to the laundry list of wasted opportunities in this.
0: Right, and so they follow her to the hospital at the same time. <laughs> oh. Tommy shows up to the hospital, <laughs> and this is where his acting Christ. is on full oh, display. Christ on the cross, because he runs, he rushes. Christ in died for this. <laughs> he died for our
1: sins because of this scene. Tommy, oh god, is every, I may need to get the bottle of gin again. Walks into the hospital very fast. His body language and posture, the way he's holding the baby, it looks like he's carrying a fucking bomb in there. That's it.
0: He looks like he's holding a bomb.
1: Everything about him is so suspicious. He walks up to the receptionist desk, and I don't know how I don't know distance of the fictional town of Haddonfield, but he had to drive over there. This is the fucking best he could come up with. Uh, it's, what well, can I help you, sir? It's my baby. There's been an accident. Oh, it seems to be a problem. And then he screams at her, look, get me a doctor now. Like, the, and the receptionist does the only normal thing that most people do. She picks up the She calls fucking security. He could have said, help, I found this baby. He needs help. Like, ma'am, I just found, I was just at the bus depot. I just found this a baby abandoned there. Uh, please, uh, yes. please help. And if he was a little more sympathetic, not a... Ro- Let's get me a doctor! Not a royal asshole yelling at people who, who, you know, who, who, uh, hospital reception. You know how much shit hospital receptionists probably deal with? How much on a daily on basis? They and this fucker walks in and he's just going to demand orders?
0: And bark orders? Yeah, no. He deserves to get the security called on him. He walks away from the desk... In a huff. He's like, huff! And he runs into Dr. Loomis, and where they he reveals to him, like, Hi, I'm Tommy Doyle. From the events of the first movie, Tommy Doyle, where the realization comes in. Now, but the there was some.
1: There was something just before that in the producer's cut that was cut out, and I can't remember it for the fucking life of me. It was Wynn and, and Loomis discussing over – In the hospital.
0: Yes, of like protecting Jamie at this point. Okay. And Wynn gets – he on his beeper, gets beeped. Yes, that's right, the beeper. And he walks This is away. what happens
1: when you watch two cuts of a movie you don't really like.
0: And so Wynne walks away, and Tommy recognizes him and goes up to him, and they begin this conversation. And in the producer's cut, they go a little bit longer, and they talk about the reasons why Michael's there and what he could be done. However, both cuts end with Tommy seeing the receptionist and security rushing him. He says, meet me at the campus hours from now.
1: Tonight at 9 o'clock. Not, hey, I'll be out in my car in the parking lot.
0: It's not that the fact that Michael Myers is back and he kills people Throughout the entire day of Halloween.
1: Not. I live at the Blankenship house across the street from the Myers house. Meet me there at your earliest convenience.
0: Or meet me outside in a few minutes. Yes. Something.
1: S- fucking something. But he. The biggest point is that he informs them that the Strode's relatives of the Strodes are living in the Myers house, and that the baby is, you know, Jamie's. He could put two and two together because Jamie was there, and. No, no, no. That's right. She didn't wash the thorn symbol. Wow. My memory's shot. The kid has still the the bloody thorn symbol drawn on his chest. Yes. So Tommy's able to put two and two together. This is Jamie's baby. And he begins to tell Loomis about a theory he has about Michael Myers, but he's cut off by security coming. So he leaves and fucking just that that fucking like now I know this probably I'm hoping to God this wasn't that scene wasn't verbatim in daniel Farron's original script I, I want to know at what fucking point in what fucking draft and i hope that scene wasn't i hope that scene was restructured by joe Chappelle so i could continue blaming everything on him as it just deserved but like what what the f- what the fuck was the point of that what the fuck was the point of him walking in there looking like he's carrying a fucking bomb and yelling at hospital receptionists for a bogus story
0: for him to run to loomis I guess. Oh, it's my
1: baby. Oh, really? Why'd you bring in your baby without clothes? And why are you, is something drawn on him with blood? I'm going to call the cops on you. Or Child Protective Services. Oh, wait. That's really not your just baby? Just give me a doctor. So you, so you stole this child? Or you don't, what What was his fucking endgame plan? Was, was his endgame plan to get arrested so he doesn't have to deal with this bullshit anymore?
0: He'd be safe. I'm in a
1: jail cell. I'm cool now. I just, you know, my only worry in here is not, dro- is not dropping the soap. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All I have to do is make it to November 1st. I'll be fine. Yeah. And so, we, we cut we cut back to the Strode residence where it's now
1: about middle of the day. Deborah Strode's doing some chores around the house. Everyone's gone to work or school or left.
0: And Michael is watching her. He's
1: watching her from across the street. She brings in the
0: axe. Yes, they, they cut down the the uh, standee that was out there.
1: And she's downstairs doing laundry. The washing machine doesn't seem to work right. She's resetting the breakers. It's the she- thing, but the fucking water spills at the bottom. So they did all this renovations but they apparently still need the new washing machine. Yeah,
0: and so she goes upstairs and the laundry. With lunch, he feels like something something's off bed, but we find out the reason why is because Lewis has snuck into the house. I always feel
1: like somebody's, somebody's watching me.
0: And so Lewis downloads her on all the information of the previous movies, pretty much that he she's unaware of.
1: Now, unfortunately, yeah, he brings a couple of files with him. He everything. He informs her that you're living in the Michael in the Myers house.
0: And the producers cut it's longer to it's give a more explanation of what happened.
1: Say, Loomis says, "It's been my life's work and also my greatest failure." I always knew what he was, but I never knew why. So just, it's more great Dr. Loomis. And you really see like, like how he still like has a, he feels like he has a duty to stop this, but how much more older and tired he is and how much, how much weight he places on himself for all the things that have transpired. And that's missing from the theatrical cut. Yeah. He essentially begs and pleads, um, Deborah Strode to get the fuck out of there, um, one of the things that's cut out is him informing her that Jamie Lloyd is still alive. Her body was found, but she's still alive, at which point they cut to the operating room and the doctor pulls out the knife, which I guess the paramedics were so kind enough to leave in her.
0: Yeah, because they think she would bleed out if they take that out.
1: Um, don't you guys have, like, stuff to stop that because you are paramedics? You think First so? aid kits. Yeah. Gauze.
0: And it's not like it's like... Is let me that, let me leave
1: this potentially bacteria riddled knife in this woman so that the infection can spread longer. Yeah, she's only been out here all night.
0: It's not like it's fucking signs where it's the uh, Mel Gibson's wife is pinned between the truck and the tree, and if they move the truck, she'll die. Yeah,
1: when she's gonna die anyway. But yeah, still. so he explains that to her and and pleads with her, get out while you still can. Uh, at which point, she calls her husband, who's drinking at work. Yeah, as usual, cause he's fucking drunk. And she's just like frantically saying, it's like, you knew about this. You moved this in here regardless. A man named Loomis came by the house today. Told us about all the things, that, horrible things that happened. And he's like, oh, Deborah, what are you doing letting strangers in? And he's just, just being, oh, you've been watching too many TV talk shows. And she's saying to him, you knew, but you moved this in here. Your brother could never sell this house because of all the horrible things that happened here.
0: Right. And he's like, you know what? You finally lost it. That's what you have, Deborah. You finally lost it. And she hangs up and she's getting ready to leave, and... Well, he pulls
1: out, you know, the thing of booze from his from his desk. As the, well as...
0: And the producer's got a picture of his daughter, and he... Old, yep,
1: a picture of his daughter where he looks at her just, like, kind of sad. Happy Halloween, little girl, and takes a big gulp.
0: What a piece of shit. Yep. And so... Dory's ready to leave, but... She's got a suitcase. The suitcase is ready, but the axe is gone. Comes down
1: the steps and sees the uh, little container where she brought supplies in from outside, including including the axe, and the axe is missing from it. She's walking around now freaking terrified. Gets a phone call. Gets a phone call. Answers it. Hello, Sydney. That'd be (laughs) funny. Yeah. Who is this? She walks to one, one side, you know, the camera pans with her to one side, pans back, Michael's in the background. Very similar to Annie talking to Paul in the original, Yeah, and Michael's in the, the background outside. Mm. Over the phone, it's a strange uh, pitch-shifted voice, we want the child. Sounds right. just like the man in black from the beginning when yeah. Danny was hearing his voice. When he and was in the room. She,
0: and she turns and sees Michael. We don't um We believe
1: she sees Michael. That's the thing, though. It's like we don't get confirmation that he's sees. We don't see there. her
0: point of view, but she immediately starts running out of the house.
1: She races out the house through the back door. The back door, she's got all her laundry hanging up, so, you know, it, her view of what's in front of her is heavily obstructed. Yeah. There's actually a behind-the-scenes photo in the new Halloween that could be a nod to this, because there's many Easter eggs. We haven't determined, because there's also... Uh, Laurie Strode in the original looking out the window and seeing Michael in Mr. Riddle's yard standing behind, you know, clothes that are hanging up. So right. It, it's all going to depend on how they use it. <clears throat> but she frantically goes, you know, tries to get through all these sheets. She almost feels like a rat in a maze. She's yeah,
0: like, and she trips. Glasses fall up very much like Velma. Her
1: glasses fall and they break. Her lenses break, so she crawls through the rest of them, gets to the last sheet, pulls it down, and there's Michael standing there with the axe. Right. Looks at him. Oh, Michael. He takes a swing. <laughs> Blood and, ru- and the- ruins the wash and ruins the wash,
0: which is I'd, for some reason I st- I do like the shot of the sheet though of the blood, blood splashing onto the sheet. Yes, but um, and so after that, Kara comes home. She's walking home, uh, and in the producer cut, a little bit longer of her being followed with the Laurie's stream behind Lori's theme behind her.
1: Well, just before that, Danny is dropped off from school. Oh, right. He comes walking down the street, and next to a van, he sees the man in black. The man, the, the nightmare man telling him all the bad things, you right. know, and all the kids are walking by. It, it is very Michael Myers-ish. Um, on the Blu-ray release, you can tell it is...
0: A man with wet mesh on his face, like a mesh he sock.
1: He's wearing like a bank robber stocking over his head. Right. And it is clearly not the man in black whose identity will be revealed later. Right. But very quickly, walks in. someone who walks in front, he's carrying a big pumpkin back, much like Tommy Doyle. And guess what? Uh, ironically, Tommy Doyle walks in front of him, bumps into him, and he drops the pumpkin. And then Tommy just stands there staring at him, squats down, starts picking it up, looks sorry. at him again, stares at him longer. Sorry.
0: Like, you could have been like, I'm um, like, I know how this feels, I'm sorry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like something. Arr.
1: So Kara comes home. Yes, Kara
0: comes home. Um, front door is locked with a latch.
1: Front door is or, locked the, the latch. or the
0: chain, I should say. Yep. And she has to go around back, goes to the house, calling out for Mom and Danny. Nothing.
1: And we don't know what's going to happen. Is Michael still in there? There is a, a good degree of suspense. Enough. I'm glad that this wasn't trimmed very much.
0: And so she goes upstairs, and we hear noises at one end of the hallway. We go down the hallway. We find out that Danny is in his room playing his Game Boy. Tommy's in there with the baby. Right. And then she's like, uh, she does not have the rational reaction. It would be like, who the fuck are you? What are you doing in my house? Well, she New did. She did ask, like, "Who who are you?" You. Know? Hi, I'm Tommy Doyle. I live. Across I, the I live across the street. Where's
1: my mother? Oh, nobody was here, and I got, well, I got here.
0: It's like, it's like, Danny, go down, go away from me downstairs. It's like, hey, this is my friend Tommy. He knows a lot about dinosaurs. Hmm.
1: Now, what was the thing in the producer's cut? There's this, the scene was trimmed in the theatrical, but in the producer's cut, it was left a little out a little more. Is, he, he begins he, to tell her about but,
0: the house. Yeah, and he's like, like about what this house is, and then we cut to nighttime. Hours go by. You have an explanation that's never brought up that could theoretically be that they wait for their mother to come back and never does. They were then, waiting at the house for the rest of the family. Nobody comes home, so they go back over to the chip's house. Yes. Nightfalls happen and they go to his his apartment and she's wondering, like, what what are we waiting for? You and expect
1: me to stay here? It's like I want you to look out the window and and make sure, you know, see and look for something. What am I looking for? Him. She turns around and there's a newspaper, Michael Myers dead or alive.
0: And then Tommy downloads in her his theory of the curse of thorn.
1: Now, I believe in between that we get Jamie's epilogue, essentially.
0: Yes, because in the producer's cut, we cut back to the hospital where Jamie is stable mm-hmm. and recovering.
1: And she's having dreams. Yes, she's dreaming I know. Of, went on in the past nine months. Where she's, you know, strapped to a gurney. Looks like she's drugged, wearing some sort of like ceremonial dress or whatever with like a wreath of oh, flowers around, around on her, her head. head tied to eventually they get to the altar from the beginning she's tied to it michael walks up there she's you know being patted on the head with like cold compresses and she's
0: a she's spread eagle on the like, altar michael
1: don't hurt me oh please god forgive me this scene implies that michael is the father of her baby
0: yeah then michael myers raped his own niece and that Stephen, the child dubbed by Tommy, is the spawn of that.
1: Yes, when Tommy brings the baby home. Ironically, in the producer's cut, Tommy was supposed to meet up with Loomis at 9 o'clock, but they wind up across the street from each other. Yeah. And don't even realize it. Tommy yeah. names the baby Stephen.
0: Yeah. And so but part of, the, of the, this extended sequence in Jamie's dreams, there is a point of view shot from her of the man in black sitting on the gurney. I don't know if he's sitting,
1: but he's like going down the hallway with him. But there's no bobbing of his body steps. He's yeah. just holding his arms up. It looks like it looks like they're pushing him on while he's sitting on a shopping cart.
0: Yeah, and he has arms out as they push forward, and it's, it's sped up. It's black and white, and so it's obviously a dream, but it just like, looks so goofy.
1: Now, wouldn't that be great if they were filming it for, like, an early prototype of Jackass, where, like, when they hit, the shopping cart hits the curb, he goes, we <laughs> just see him go flying off?
0: That would be so much fun. It would Given that scene so much more entertainment
1: value. But anywho, after Jamie has the end of her dream, we get a zoom out of her in her hospital bed, and there's the man in black holding a pistol to her. Saying, With a
0: suppressor on it and kills her.
1: Your work here is done, Jamie. Where we hear the, the unrealistic suppressor chirp.
0: And if it's, it's snap cut, it's smashes to the with the sound of a flat line
1: police investigating her body yeah and that she's been murdered <coughs> she's been murdered and once again dr loomis said jamie why? you know bl- loomis blaming himself
0: right and then another doctor confirms the fact that she did give birth no more than 24 hours due to the placenta that was in her uterus
1: now, Where's the baby i think i may know right i believe that comes a little later though yeah but i'm not totally sure this this movie's such a fucking mess. And this is what happens, too, folks, when you try to, like I said before, this is what happens when you try to review two cuts of a movie you don't really like. This
0: is what happens when you meet a stranger in the
1: Alps. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Yeah. So Tommy Beck, at his place, is going over what he believes, he, he's put together all the pieces of the puzzle so far, what he believes is the cause of Michael's power, strength, why he does what he does, who the people are that gave him this power. Tommy goes through the history, not really the history, but...
0: The mythology of it. The
1: mythology, and very close to the holiday of Halloween and the festival of Samhain, that the Celt thorn, the symbol we see, is a rune symbol that a Druid cult used as a curse to spread you know, famine and disease. And the deal with it is that, legends has it that, according to... One one boy from each tribe is inflicted with the curse, where he is to wipe out his entire family in order to spare everyone. You know, it's sort of a need to the, – the the sacrifice of one family spares an entire tribe.
0: Yes, and then we find out that this cult – the reason why this cult is doing this, if Michael is able to achieve this world peace, is that is that what I'm getting at?
1: World dominance?
0: Yeah. It is. Or maybe
1: just a simple – maybe just a simple resurrection of their beliefs right a resurrection of their culture
0: and so everything that's been built up from the 4 5 6 is now this is the this is the end game this is the final that this plan. is why michael has been doing this yep and how
1: also thorn appears as a constellation yeah. now in the producer's cut this is also heavily extended where tommy talks about how the constellation first appeared on halloween night. it appears on halloween nights you know the festival of Samhain. Or Sam Hain, for those of you who don't know the correct pronunciation, yes. it is was how the, on his computer he researched the constellation appeared in 1963, then in 78 when he broke out, 10 years later in 88, a year after that, and how the next one is supposed to appear then. Whatever it appears, he appears. Right. But how there are also runes of light that could cancel the evil energy out. Yes. And how he thinks that, you know, Michael could be destroyed. Right. So, Tommy, he's sitting there, and also on the producer guy, he's playing with like these little like was it walnuts or acorns or yeah, some kind it, of but things th- th- that, that they are supposed to be his that he carved runes into right um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it. but you know what? I'll give it this. I have said before how the fact that the movie is called Halloween instead on Halloween is almost incidental,
0: yes,
1: you could have put this fucking story on Easter. You could have had his mask be a fucking rabbit mask. Had done the same thing if we're That's talking about terrifying. the original, yeah. So this, and also with Halloween three, how there is a huge um, effort into you know bringing back, bringing back the whole concept of Halloween, bringing back the whole concept of the holiday of Halloween, and everything about it. And this is even something that was explored in the original novization of the first Halloween. How Michael Myers is cursed. Hence the title. Well, the title of the movie, you know, The Curse of Michael Myers, also fit because Daniel Farron chose it over the curse of the production. That whole Halloween 666 origin of Michael Myers, I think, was just put there for a fucking trailer. Daniel Farron's original working title was Halloween 666, you know, because it sounds evilish. But he.
0: 666, The Number number of the the beast, Beast, Hell, and Fire!
1: was born to be released. Yes. But it fits, the idea, and, and also, by calling it The Curse of Michael Myers, you have completed the Pink Panther trilogy of Halloween, the Return Revenge Curse.
0: Yes, very much like it's pointed out by the AVGN. AVGN,
1: yes. And everybody, pretty much. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's where we're at. And the thing is, I will say, all things considered, I don't think that that's a bad explanation. Mustafa Kod said on the 25th anniversary DVD, uh, the 25 Years of Terror DVD, that... You know, you keep doing the same thing. People get tired of it. You have got to explore a little bit. I- I'm paraphrasing right now. Yeah, no,
0: I mean, I-, I appreciate the effort of them trying to explain it. It's not like chances of swinging for the fences is not going to please everybody. So at least there's an attempt. There was effort put in. There's
1: effort, and it does make sense. Like he's taken. I feel like Daniel Farren's. I I, I really would love to see his very first. You know, drafted the, the whatever drafted the script it was that Donald Pleasant said was the best story since the first one. Right. Because he's managed to take all these things that were essentially pulled out of pulled out of writers' asses. The sister Angle was pulled out of John Carpenter's ass when he was drunk and couldn't figure out what to do. All the um, thorn shit that was just tossed in there in 5 and the man in black was pulled out of um, Dominic Goffin and Gerard's ass because the fucking script was barely complete. Daniel Farren's did a damn good job taking a whole bunch of people's... Uh, Yeah, and making it into something cohesive, uh, very coincidentally as well. And there's actually another coincidence I will point out later after we get to a certain plot point. Right. So after Tommy explains all this, you know, he puts on his coat and says, "I got to go down to the college campus to meet Loomis." He doesn't actually say that. He says, "Whatever you do, don't go back to to your your house."
0: house. And so we cut to the college campus where everybody's awaiting Barry Sims, including Beth and Tim, who are now dressed up as a couple as the Frankenstein's monster and and Bride
1: Frankenstein. Uh, John Strode also finally comes home from a day's work of drinking. Um, he gets home. Nobody's home. He looks around. Dinner's not made. He goes, oh, shit. she actually left.
0: Yeah, after running over his grandson's bicycle.
1: Going, he, just, he intended to because you, <laughs> you see him pulling, like speeding into his drive, He goes, whoopee. And he it's hits his grandson's bicycle.
0: What a piece of shit. Yeah.
1: So he gets inside, home from work. And after he kind of realizes thinking his wife left him, power goes out. So he goes, him jokingly, he's still probably uh, pretty sauced up at this moment. Grabs oh, the I know of- what it is. It's the Boogeyman. Bogeyman. Takes a flashlight, I to her chin. Here I come, Boogeyman.
0: And he goes down to the basement, and that's when things start to come. a Reset little... the breakers, yeah. Yeah, and he starts to realize something's a little bit
1: off. The floor is currently flooded. Yep. The washing machine's still going, but the power's out. He goes, what the hell? power's out. How's the machine still running? I'm guessing Michael Myers also is an apprentice electrician. He was able to remove the house breakers, and hook them up directly to the... Because, I mean, with his level of power, he could just take the plug from the washing machine out, rip it apart, take the two AC and DC ends, or, no, positive and negative ends, pull the fucking main electric coming into the house out, wire them together, and then just run the thing in there with...
0: Without zapping himself.
1: Without zapping... Well, you... No, with... Dude, he's invincible, so with zapping himself. That's true. He probably zapped himself good. So John, he turns he turns off the washing machine, opens it up, and inside there's nothing but bloody sheets.
0: Be funny if it was his wife's head, like just like the like pull up like just. And just we'll like,
1: we'll get to that in resurrection. Yeah,
0: it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's when Michael strikes. He impales him, picks him up, and impales him further into the, into the breaker breakers. box. You yeah. know what?
1: My theory's out the window because that proves that the breakers were still live. He didn't pull out the main of the house. Right. Maybe he spliced a second set of wires together. Maybe Michael's a really good electrician.
0: Explains everything. I mean, just explain for the further sets they have. Now, in the theatrical cut, he gets zapped so much, his this head is, explodes. This is
1: very, a much more gory and intense scene where, like, you see him sweating profusely. You see, like, boils on his face Puss. bubbling. He's foaming at the mouth. His body is, like, smoking. And he's starting to get, like, charred marks on his face. And eventually his head explodes. In the producer's cut, he's impaled, but no different, no change in appearance whatsoever. And he just slowly, like, collapses. People have criticized the head exploding. Maybe you didn't need to go that far, but the whole electrocution deal. Like the look, him all... It's fucking intense.
0: Yeah. That, I think, is cool, and I enjoy that.
1: It's fucking intense, you you sick freak. No, I'm just kidding. It is pretty cool.
0: But... Anywho, yeah, Barry Sims has shown up at the, the at the college the, you're
1: waiting on the yeah Barry Sims, and they yeah. see a strange man in a familiar black hat and trench coat walk on.
0: Hello, then he's playing as Barry as, Sims as like a flasher.
1: Yep, and he's only wearing his boxers in you know October weather
0: in the Midwest. Yep, he's very uh, just probably shrunk at the point. And the broadcast is going on, and Beth is pretty much kind of leading this kind of sermon of like taking back Halloween for Haddonfield and Barry just being the scumbag that he is, just hitting on her in front of Tim and everything.
1: Yep, she's there. She's a woman on a mission. She's got point, talked about how we cannot live in fear anymore. We have to change. And he's, whoa, I bet you she wears, she's just riled up in the sack,
0: Tim. I bet she wears crotchless pants and barks like a dog. And Tim's
1: just kind of sitting there just like, uh, whatever.
0: Yeah, just like uh, being a total beta right there. Yep. And being like, and so Beth is like kind of, we just passed, yeah, yeah brushing past his, his advantages and says, like, oh, hell, even Tim's family lives in the Myers' house. And it's like... Barry's
1: intrigued about that. Barry, you just... You see, like... You see his his attention has been...
0: Yeah, and he's like, you do? And he's like, And Tim's like, completely unaware. of like, know? uh, yes, we do. Good wood. Nice house. Good wood. Yeah, strong wood. And it's like, even though the house is made out of brick, but... Yep. Um, and so Barry calls, he calls the the for a end commercial day. break
1: and says, that "When we come back, we'll be broadcasting live from the one only buyer's house." Oh, where's should They go commercial. How, how far is he asking? About half mile. I'll meet you there in five. Yeah. So he walks off. You know, gets on his phone with his producer, and he's clearly not a happy camper. Being yeah, out being
0: there. on 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 remote in location right there. <laughs> which he does have my favorite, my, probably my favorite line in the movie when he's going through the parking lot looking for his van because early in the movie we saw the Barry Simmons van advertising for the event going on that night around Haddonfield when Tommy was uh scared um Danny. It's the same type of van that the Smith's Gross van that Michael Myers has been bombing around in.
1: Yeah, uh Barry gets in the wrong van.
0: Right, but he's going through the parking lot. He's looking where's around, the goddamn van? Where's Barry? the goddamn van? For some reason, I lose that. Platform. And one
1: interesting thing right there um at Daniel Farrin's put in the script that was actually a knock at Paul Freeman, yeah, producer, Um, when he says, oh, we're going to film this at the real Myers house, you know, where we should have started in the first place. Right. Uh, uh, You know? So in the, the thing is, this isn't revealed in the producer, in the theatrical cut, but in the producer's cut, when, when Barry gets in the van, it pans down. It's the wrong van. It's a Smith's Grove van. So we know where this is. He's on the phone, you know, yelling at him. They hangs up the phone saying, where's the damn keys? Michael's in the back, grabs him and stabs him to death. Yeah. Now this is probably before or maybe after. Back at the Blankenship residence, Kara um, and Danny are downstairs hanging out with Mrs. Blankenship. Yep. And she's telling the story of, you know, why do we celebrate Halloween? It was a time of great power when the spirits of the you know the the spirits of the dead would, would roam the earth.
0: Right. And, sa- and then when- – All dressed
1: up in costumes. And Kara's
0: pulling Danny away from this conversation because she doesn't want him to be scared. This is when Mrs. Blankenship reveals the fact that Michael Myers, back in
1: 1963,
0: she – Was babysitting him. Yeah, and said that Michael heard he- the same voices too. He hears the voice too. Little Mikey
1: Byers. It told him to kill his family. So now Kara is beginning to really understand. Yeah. Yep.
0: And so Tim and Beth come back to the house, um, and Tim's, like, wondering where everybody is, powers out, and asks Beth, is this really what happened here? And Beth kind of recounts the initial story from 1963.
1: Step by step. In the producer's cut, though, however... As she goes up the stairs and is telling the story, we see in the doorway Mike, my, the side of Michael's body walk out there, so we know that he has arrived. Right, that's left out
0: of the theatrical cut. And so and she reveals she finishes the story, and he's like, "Quit it! I, I didn't know." And it's like it's okay, and so they jump into bed together. His they sister's jump bed. bed, yeah, it's
1: I mean, very nice.
0: I mean, we've all been there, right? I, I guess so. So, but so at, at the same time. Uh, back at the campus, Tommy's waiting for Loomis. Lewis. Now this is very different. Now, Tommy hears a little girl singing to herself in the producer's Cut. It's re- mommy. It's raining red. It's
1: raining red. She's standing next to a tree, and he's just like wondering, like, well, what, what the fuck's going on? So he starts walking over the kid, as and she's singing over and over again. Mommy, it's raining. It's raining red. Over and over again. It's like, I. In the theatrical version, she's just like it's, it's, rain, it's rain, raining. Rain, she's, right? like, she's
0: like, it's raining red, Tommy. It, it's raining red, and we find out that she's being blood is dripping on him, and then Tommy looks up, and it's Barry. Barry seems body somehow, tied up in the lights. Somehow got he, up in there, nobody noticed him, and falls out. Loomis shows up after Barry's body has hit the ground, and they race back to the Meyer, the Blankenship house. Um, At that
1: point. Tim and Beth have just finished making love, and Tim says the stupidest thing.
0: Oh, I got to take a shower. got to clean Where up. Where are you going? I got to
1: take a shower. Got to stay for... It reminds me of an episode of Beavis and Butthead when they went to the drive-in. They didn't have a car, so they're just sitting there with the little speaker next to each other's ears. And they're watching the big boobed chick on Scott. Ah, oh, it's horrible. All my sorority sisters are like naked and decapitated. I wonder who could have done this. I bet he'll come for me next. I know. I'll take a shower. <laughs> yes. Yes. And of course, she's soaped her herself up, and then the fucking killer comes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so... It's, it, so Tim it
1: goes to take a shower.
0: Gets killed by Michael.
1: Take a shower. He asks for her to bring a towel, and she, someone brings him a towel. He doesn't realize how manly the hands are that bring the towel. Yes. He pulls the towel off, and it's a very it's a, it's a burned hand with a thorn tattoo on the wrist. Mm-hmm. So he dries off, gets out. I guess he was taking a very hot shower, even though he says, said, could you bring me a towel? I'm freezing in here. Place is steamed up. He... Brushes off – you know, wipes off the steam. And in the background, fading in, just like earlier, it's Michael. Grabs him by the hair and slits his throat. Tim's
0: dead. And even though he comes a little con- unconvincing at the end, like, uh, 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 uh. Oh, yeah.
1: He, like, has just, like, a, you know, just, like, like uh, bored you know, face.
0: He's like, somebody yell cut yet or not? Yeah, right. And so –
1: Kara sees, looks, decides to just, you know, look at, out the window, see if anyone's there. Calls Kelsey. the house. She sees Beth in her room. Calls the house and says – you know, is is my mother there? It's like, oh, oh no, it's uh, no one's been here. Uh, we haven't seen anyone. Tim and I are here. He's in the shower. At which point, Kara sees Michael walk in the room.
0: Says, "Beth, get out of the room. There's someone in there." Now, in the producer's cut, we only see it from Kara's point of view. Yes, we do not see from in there. No, and it's just a few stabs, and we out hear, the window from
1: across the street.
0: Yeah, very much like how Rear Window when Jeffries realizes that the Vaughn is coming back into the house. Uh, not Vaughn, but um. And Thorne's coming back to the house, uh, coming back to his apartment when Grace Kelly's in there, very much akin to that. However, in the theatrical cut, we cut to footage shot inside the room, and it's flash cuts, we have slow motion, we have sound effects of Michael grunting, and it's just over the top, and it's... uh.
1: It's shit, basically. It's shit taking a shit.
0: But Danny goes over back over to the house, and as she, yes,
1: as, she, as she's looking out the window, she looks down. and She sees Danny walking towards the house,
0: and so she goes over to stop him. Danny's at the top of the stairs. Before she goes to chase him, she grabs the fire poker and follows him up.
1: It's a, it's a slow pace, even in the theatrical cut. It's still it's slow. slow paced.
0: Sure, she she follows him all the way to his room. The
1: producers cut though has still has like the the music is like the, dun, dun, like the, the, the dissonant that dissonant minor second you know interval that John Carpenter had in there very similar to the opening of Halloween after um as Michael's stalking up the stairs
0: right and now in the actual it's like it's all the heavy metal stuff at, at this point it's not really not much okay. of
1: anything it's just like i think like ambient sound it's really just
0: that sound of the room and everything she finds i'd, I'd say some kind
1: of ambient music cues right
0: and so she finds Danny in his room and he's like snaps him out of it michael shows up and they rush out through out, out through the, the second entrance to Danny's room, down back to the hallway, closing the door behind them, and Danny goes down the stairs, and Kara's backing up with the fire poker forward, waiting for Michael to come, but before that happens, before he comes through the door, her the Perfect mother, timing. Yeah, perfect timing. The rim- attic
1: door breaks open, and there's her mother's body in it.
0: With the axe planted in her, Michael comes through the door.
1: Stalking slowly.
0: Grabs the axe out of Kim Darby.
1: She makes it around the bend where the stairs start to go down. A very big difference from the original Myers House. Right. But there's like a little, I guess, alcove in there around the staircase. He comes down and around, doesn't see her. She hits him in the back of the head with the poker. He falls down the stairs.
0: Yeah. And believed to be... Out. Yeah. Out of and commission. So she goes down the stairs and looks, looks for Danny. Danny. And he's on the opposite side of the Of, Michael. of the entrance. Yeah. yeah. And so she's like... Come. In a doorway. and my And he just... Hypnotized by Michael's presence, so she goes over and grabs him. But while she's bringing him over, Michael grabs her, grabs b- her by, by the, the ankle. Leg. Yep, trips and she, her.
1: She whacks him in the arm with the poker. The two you, of them escape, and the chase is on. Right, and you're, this is
0: when pressing. the heavy metal music comes in for the theatrical cut. The heavy
1: metal. Music, yeah. Oh, and it's fucking painful. Weep. Now, unfortunately, the producer's cut wasn't a lot better. Their version of the famous chase music. He. It's- Alan Howarth was using some kind of hi hat, like the the upper bell portion of the hi hat, right in the center, and it just like, it, it pierces ding, through ding. the mix. Like ding, no, the ding, 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 oh, okay. ding, 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 ding. It just pierces through the mix, and it's very, very dry and kind of cut off. Yeah, ish. It's kind of weak, and it just, it it brings the whole thing down.
0: And it's a repeat of the of the chase in the original Halloween when they were banging on the door of Mrs. Blankenship's house, and as Michael. Watch walk I'd across like the street. every
1: I'd say in each Halloween there's a, there's the, the, the famous walk chase yeah. where somebody gets to their destination and is banging on the door for someone to let them in.
0: Right. And so Tommy <clears throat> and Loomis open the door. Tommy and they- Loomis
1: had arrived shortly before looking for the baby while they were while Kara and Danny were in the Myers' house. Tommy and Loomis arrived, upstairs. The baby where's the the baby's gone. Yeah. So they hear, you know, Kara banging on the door, they let her in. Say, where's the baby? Someone must have... Who else knew about the baby? No one! Nobody knew.
0: Claims uh, Loomis. And so we hear... Nobody the, knew
1: except me and... Loomis is cut off by a voice. They Danny, all hear it. Come to me. In Mrs. Blankenship's living room, sitting on the couch, is Danny next to the men in black.
0: Yeah, and it's... And, Kara and, pleads with them. And it's not... It is not the black scorpion uh, revealed.
1: The Man in Black looks up, and underneath that hat we see it's Dr. Wynn. Right. Dr. Wynn was the leader of the Thorn Cult. Dr. Wynn was the Man in Black in Halloween 5. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wynn broke Michael Myers out. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wynn has been in control this whole time.
0: So, So he set Michael loose in 1978, you think? possibly yeah and so Kara runs upstairs I don't
1: after- know if, well, we'll, well, we'll talk more about that in a moment when we really start explaining everything.
0: right and so Kara goes upstairs after the goons have grabbed both yes um- this is
1: where Halloween 6 lost me when I first saw it and it has never gotten me back since you see these guys his henchmen essentially wearing these big cumbersome fucking robes that are black with like red trim and the thorn symbol on the front Looking like your stereotypical supervillain henchman. Yes. Like, everyone that the Joker hires dresses like a clown. Everyone that Catwoman hires dresses like a cat. Everyone that the Penguin hires dresses like... It looked like something out of a fucking bed, like 60s Batman.
0: Right. And so, Kara goes upstairs looking for safety and finds Mrs. Blankenship with Steven. With the baby. Yeah. Yeah. And she turns around and reveals that in one hand she has a baby, in the other hand she has a knife. And she says... "Hello, dear." And. Kara has, like, two things. Kara makes, like, an audible noise. and a, ah! Ah! And then she At goes, point, the point two of the
1: and two of the fucking kick jo- in the door. Two of the Joker's henchmen kick in the door. <laughs> and Kara goes he- diving
0: headfirst out the out window. Out the fucking
1: window. That, Second
0: story. That
1: is what I would say my enthusiasm for the movie did once that scene arrived when I first saw it. At that point, I, I think I said out loud, oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> when I saw, when I saw the, the henchman in the fucking garb, I'm, I said to myself, oh, for Christ's sake. That is where the movie lost me, and, and still to this day, and this is in both cuts in the movie. I can't fucking watch it. No. And so... In the producer's cut, Kara then, we see her, she lands outside, she wakes up, she's tied to a fucking altar. Yeah. In the theatrical cut, He's tied to the altar, I'm sorry. In the theatrical cut, uh, Loomis and Tommy wake up and say, Oh, what's going on? Where's the... I feel like I've been drugged. And it's like... We have been drugged. Uh, we have been drugged. <laughs> okay, when? Well,
0: uh, presumably uh, after... Thank you for that? not shooting
1: that. Thank you. You could have had something in the beginning where like someone it's... just... Yeah, the 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 the, the famous fucking um, injection gun that everyone uses and something. Yeah. Like your super ser- uh, soldier serum just pssst right in the neck. Ugh. And then have a stuntman, you know, fall, fall down. Where was that? It is so cheap. It, it, it seemed like she- something they threw in at the last second. Right.
0: And so we cut to Smith's Grove Sanitary. Well, well
1: the, uh, Tommy asks, why are they doing this? Loomis says, it's his game, and I know where he wants to play it. Right. In the theatrical cut, we now see Kara in the same garb she was in in the producer's cut, except she's in, like, a cell now. She can't get out. Yeah. So Tommy and Loomis drive to Smith's Grove. This is where the, the two versions of the movies completely we fucking different. We diverged. are
0: now in it. We are... Reached a fork in the road.
1: So, what what path do we want to take first? The one that was shot first, or the one that uh, was released? Shot first. All right. So, in the producer's cut, they go back to Ridgemont, Smiths Grove. <laughs> the, the, we get the shot of the big building that was actually the Meridian Condominiums in Salt Lake City. Yes, that was Ridgemont H Four, uh, Smiths Grove in Six. In yeah. the theatrical cut, it makes more sense because that that the shots of that building were cut completely out. Instead, they go through, like, what is a rear service entrance, I think, an employee entrance.
0: Yeah.
1: What we say we're doing first? Producers? Producers. They get in. They're walking through the hallways where Tommy stops Loomis and says... I think it could be good runes to stop. I, I I believe that Michael's under the influence. He basically... He he gives Loomis all his research. I think Michael's under the influence of an evil thorn... Of an evil rune. Where he, Loomis he, responds, thorn. thorn! I saw the, the symbol earlier, so... We can assume that Loomis has a has a background in fucking Celtic mythology. Yes. Where Tommy explains to him what he told Kara earlier, how there are runes of light. I think that the good could be could cancel out the bad yeah. and destroy Michael. Mm. At which point, Loomis says, you you stay here. I'll be right back. Right. Loomis goes to visit Wynne in his office. Wynne's sitting there in his fucking cult of thorn garb, his fucking Halloween costume, I call it literally he was waiting for him <clears throat> now here in the theatrical are two very di- we get two very different motivations explanations, yeah. explanations of reasons the one in the producer's cut we get more that win is the leader of this cult this ancient evil that exists to restore balance to the world that michael is the embodiment of thorn and he acts as its guardian and protector and he wants to pass this the reason why he wanted Loomis to come back to Smith Grove is that he wants to pass this on to him because Loomis has always known what this evil really is Um, I don't this this to me kills the concept of the boogeyman that the fucking boogeyman needs someone to tuck him in at night (laughs) The boogeyman, the embodiment
0: of... He's not in command of his own facilities. Yes,
1: the boogeyman, this embodiment of evil that John Carpenter created has someone that protects him. He don't need protecting, bro. He proved he don't need protecting. So that's where it it really, really loses me. Well, (laughs) actually, that's not true. It lost me when I saw the fucking men in fucking... Oh, ah! fucking goofy bathrobes walking.
0: Yeah.
1: At which point Loomis, you know, says, I thought Michael was a monster, but you where he's quickly like, uh, what's that thing called? The slapjack. Yeah. It looks like a gym sock that someone hits you in the back of the head with and he falls down. And Dr. Wynn says, we'll leave Dr. Loomis here to think about this for a while. It's his office now. Right. With, and- So they go, uh, while Tommy's waiting there.
0: He sees a, a Thor member...
1: Playing with his beggar, and he sees a Thor member in his funny pajamas walking down the hallway. So a start.
0: brightly lit hallway. He does, he just looks so strange in that environment. And yeah, so, you know, because it's
1: still just a state-run facility. There's no rules of don't wear your fucking cult gear where there's security cameras that the government could seize.
0: Yeah, and so he follows him to the ceremony chamber, and he grabs a spare... Costume. Uh, costume. When the ceremony's going on, so... What's going to happen here?
1: The, the ceremony here that is going on is you have Dr. Wynn there leading it, you have Danny there, and you have Michael there, and you have about 12 other members of the Thorngold, including Wynn's secretary and Mrs. Blankenship. What's going on here is the idea that this the baby is to be Michael's final sacrifice as the curse of Thorn is passed on to a new boy. Danny has been chosen because he lives in the Myers house,
0: and then he's going ki- to Danny's going to kill his mother. Right? Danny's
1: going to kill his mother as his first sacrifice, similar to Michael's first sacrifice of killing his sister. Okay. Now, here's the funny part. Danny's whole f- well, I mean, we don't know about the extended Strodes, but to the best of our knowledge, Danny's immediate family is fucking dead. Yeah. If he kills his mom, what happens? Is he relinquished? Maybe he's got to kill his, you know, his other – his great-uncle, Lori's adopted father and great-aunt or mom. You know, like, like, it's so damn confusing. But it's – it's the baby is to be Michael's final – sacrifice. the sacrifice of innocent blood, this baby, is to be – I I don't know the rules, folks. No. I don't know the rules.
0: And it's poorly thought out. I, I, I say it's it's poorly explained to the audience, which is bad as a storyteller that we have to, we have we're, we're asking these lingering questions of motivations going on.
1: It's too basic to really wrap your head around and you have too many questions unanswered.
0: Right. And like Kara almost reaches Michael saying, It's your baby, isn't it? And like Michael's like contemplating, yeah. like, Wait. Kara, uh, while
1: tied to this altar, has a makes a last ditch effort.
0: Yeah. And Michael's just like wait. Am I going to do this or not?
1: To, to appeal to his human side. So you know who the baby is, right? It's your it's your baby, isn't it, Michael? And even Wynne has to pull him out. Like, Michael.
0: Michael, he, like, yanks on the chain a little bit.
1: Now, one interesting thing, you may not know this, is that in the runic alphabet, the symbol of Thorn, as it evolved over time, past the 14th century, this is from what I read, I'm sure there's going to be some, some people of that faith that may criticize me right now, but you, Correct me then. Be polite at least if you want to and comment on it. As it, the symbol evolved over the centuries, the top half, because we just we determined it's kinda like a, a letter P, except if the loop were were a perfect like angle, like yeah. a sharp angle, and it were in the middle. It kind of evolved, I guess, over time, to looking more like a traditional P. But there was another symbol, runic symbol in old English, like the Anglo Saxon Old English. That resembled that almost identical? You know what that rune was called? Wynn. W-Y-N-N.
0: Really? How did you figure this out? It
1: was I, I. It was actually a special feature many, many years ago on HalloweenMovies.com. I, I wish they would put back up all their old features. They recently revamped their website for the new movie, and they're yet to put a lot of their old special features back on, including an interview with Daniel Farrens, which I did dig deep to find uh-huh. from like about 10 years ago, 10, 13 years ago. But that was one that they did back then. And there was a runic poem. I can't remember it though. I wish I fucking wish this was still up or if there were an internet archive version of it that really helped explain how the curse of thorn works and how it gave Michael Myers his strength and how it only makes you stronger. and. The Halloween movies had also said that, like, this could explain, also explain, you know, George Wilbur's slight weight gain between the two movies, how he's become hulkier over the course of these movies. How the longer the curse is inflicted in him, the stronger he becomes. And how, like, his death scenes become more intense and gory and brutal compared to the first. Interesting. Yep.
0: And so... It's just so many weird
1: coincidences. And I give Daniel Farren's full fucking credit for managing to take all these ideas people pulled out of their ass and actually put them together and make them work.
0: Right, and I
1: blame Miramax entirely for fucking it up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and every 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 one they had in hand with fucking beating this thing down.
0: And so Tommy shows up, uh, uses Win as a hostage. gets Tommy him, strikes,
1: but, pulls a knife to Win's neck.
0: Yes, yeah, so he gets. Um, I carry her off the altar, snaps Danny at it, grabs Stephen. Tommy's,
1: they, uh, what was it, Wynn says to him, you have talents, you should join us, like right. a fucking typical supervillain. Super and so,
0: they oh. get they get out of the, the ceremony chamber. Michael immedi- them.
1: immediately comes in, he's not doing this hostage, Michael is like America, we do not negotiate with terrorists. No. He ain't negotiating, he's just charging the front line.
0: Right, and so they make it back all the way to the entrance to where they came from initially. And the alarms are blaring. And, and they can't get out, and so Tommy has the bright idea of using the good Rune, like cutting his hand and setting up good runes to stop him from attacking. At this which,
1: point, Loomis finally regains consciousness, arrives, shoots open the, the gatebell lock behind, gets Karen Danny out of there. Tommy saying, get him out of there. He takes out his little bag of runes we saw him playing with before.
0: Puts, put, makes a circle out of him, cuts his hand, cuts his say, hand says and Cuts st- his
1: hand, wipes it on the ground, but Michael catches up to him, grabs him by the neck, and at the last minute, he's able to say "Sam Samhain, which and, I'm guessing they put in there for practicality reasons. Yeah. And Michael lets him go and freezes into place.
0: Right. So Tommy gets out of there. Wynn notices that Michael is frozen there. So they go outside. To escape. They, they all get in the Jeep with the exception of Loomis. And Loomis he says,
1: get as far away from heading as possible.
0: Come, come with, with us. He, I have a little business to attend to. They leave. Loomis goes back at the hospital. Michael seems to be incapacitated on the floor. But Loomis- right
1: before, when Wynn found him, we see Michael clench his fist. Right. Like, oh, he's not stopped. He's not finished he's not defeated right you find michael lying on the floor
0: it's revealed that win is now in the costume of michael myers and
1: loomis pulls the mask off yeah and michael switch clothes with win
0: right and that he's gone and he's like he's your
1: he grabs a hold of loomis's wrist pulls the sleeve up Says, it's your game now dr loomis loomis looks at his wrist and a thorn symbol materializes right at which point loomis realizes that the the curse has been passed on to him that he is now Michael's guardian. The, per, the the evil he swore to destroy, he is now the guardian and the keeper of.
0: Which that means like then you just kill yourself. But that's the thing though. What
1: would happen like if he if he dies? You know, would know. Michael be released? Would, would he just run wild? Would I have no idea? I don't know because I don't know what fucking guardianship means. And once again. an entity like Michael Myers doesn't need to
0: be fucking protected. He don't need someone to pat him on the head at the end of the night
1: and say, oh, good boy, good boy, you killed those people. No,
0: and Michael Myers escapes dressed as the man in black. Yep, he escapes
1: through a tunnel dressed up as the man in black. It pans. We see the man in black there. It pans down. We see the burned hands and Mm -hmm. the work boots, not the fucking cowboy boots with the spurs. No. And we realize it's Michael Myers. Right. He leaves, cut back to the Myers Strode house, close up of the pumpkin, and credits.
0: Yeah. In memory, Donald in memory of Don Pleas. In memory of Don Pleas in the best yeah.
1: way. Now, that ending test screened, well, the whole producer got test screened from an audience of mostly 14 and 50-year-old boys, and they said the ending sucked. So the movie was rushed back into production, where they went with the theatrical cut, as we've been describing, and the ending was heavily changed from the point we started at before. Loomis and um, Tommy arrive at the hospital. Different exterior. Different exterior. This is out, shot in L.A. The, shot in L.A. The whole well, as they're walking through the whole explanation of the runes and everything, and Loomis going Thorn is completely cut. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just the part where Loomis takes out his pistol and Tommy says, going to stop him." The, nothing was that But when Doctor Loomis, should you stay here and, and I'll c- until I come back?
0: Confronts Wayne in his office. Confronts
1: Wayne. It's now. A different office. Yeah, Wynn is still. It wear- was wearing like his normal suit. He read the book. Ah, Sam, I thought you'd arrive. And now we get a little more of a, des- a different explanation. It's like you were the first to see it. Pure corrupt, uh, uncorruptible evil. I want to harness and control it. The theatrical cut now gives us more of a science versus mysticism explanation, where when. He's using this old Thorn power. I believe. I, I. I. feel like he's still very much a descendant of the Thorn cult, but he's a more modernized version, right. where he's using science to bring about a new age for the Thorn. Exactly. For thorn.
0: And so. And but the same thing that Loomis tries to stop him, and he's, he's clobbered past- over the head.
1: Yeah. You know. And. Now Tommy, he's you know he's just walking through the hallways. He doesn't in, he doesn't see a guy dressed in thorn garb. He's just walking through hallways. But the way it's cut, if you look at the cor- the corner mirror of the hallway, you could see still see the guy walking away in the opposite direction. Right. Those like little mirrors in the top right area, er- like the top area of like an intersection. Yeah. Where you can see down the next hallway coming from the other one. Mm-hmm. Tommy follows through. He gets to the wing marked maximum security, security which ironically, in the Extended added scenes from the original Halloween that were shot for NBC. Loomis says this is a minimum security facility. Whether you count those or not, heard up. Maybe they edited over the years. maximum yeah. security. <clears throat> Tommy goes in there. He's investigating around, and Does he, he hears noises. Yep, he hears noises. He comes across this like old woman who's a patient there. And has like her insides like kind of like. It looks like she's been stabbed. Right. It's like rotting over. and she says, "He walks among us, brother. He's very, very angry." And she She collapses collapses and dies. how does it feel to be damned? And he's just, oh, Uh, shit. It's the most emotion he has. Kara, who was in her cell last time we saw her in the theatrical time. Here's Tommy. Bang on the door. Tommy, help me. Tommy, he finds her door. He, He sees a fire extinguisher around, starts banging on the doorknob, at which point from an open door, out walks Michael. He sees Tommy. Tommy briefly pauses, stares at him with, like, this weird, like, elated fear. He's making, like...
0: Uh, yeah, he's
1: making like almost smiley faces. He gets back to banging on the doorknob. Michael's approaching, banging, banging, banging. Gets the
0: door open. Gets Kara out there. They start
1: running. He manages to close like a secure, like a security, security gate. gate, like like jail bars. But he grabs Kara at the last Grabs her by the hair. He's pulling her. So he gets a hold of like a riot gun, like a flare gun, a tear or gu-
0: tear gas gun, or something like that.
1: Puts it up against Michael's chest and
0: shoots him through the bars, sending him back, incapacitating him for the yep. moment. They run away. And so then they go further and further into the hospital, and we they spy on the, the... They get into, like, an operating room area. Right, and they see the Thorn members, and, like, Wynn comes up to one of them still wearing the Joker garb, uh, the, the thug the Thorn, garb. The Thorn
1: he, outfit, and he says, okay, okay, you can take it off, Halloween's over.
0: Yeah, everybody has a chuckle at it. Now, this
1: right here, there's fewer members... I, I counted about, like, 12 people in the ceremony in the producer's cut. There's maybe about six or seven right here. And the fact that when Witten does see like kind of a silly, like he's a modern man. He does see kind of like a silliness and all this dressing up for the cult thing. I like that better because I like the idea that in this fucking state-run, you know, mental health facility, it's just this elite few that are part of this cult that have infiltrated. Not it. everybody. That's there. not everyone in the fucking mother. I could understand the idea of like Mrs. Blankenship being like an accomplice who moved in to Haddonfield. Like, oh, this is where I lived and there's a boy across the street. He may be good for what we want to accomplish. Right. And that he's always kept in touch with these people. And that through, I guess, I, I don't know if it's Dr. Wynn's connections, if he has any, that he was able to persuade someone to put Michael at Smith's Grove where, you know, the person that caused this curse, he now is in charge of and overseeing.
0: Right. Right. And so they they prep him, uh, they go, pre- into
1: sur- go into surgery. They, pre- they start prepping for some kind of surgical procedure. We don't even see fucking what.
0: No, but since Steven, the, the baby is outside the room, we presume it's going to be about him for some reason. That's what I'm guessing.
1: I don't know. Because at this point, we have no idea what the fuck's going on. We have no idea what they want to do with the baby. Yeah,
0: and so and then Kara and um, Tommy have spied on this Well, Michael comes in.
1: Goes into the operating room. They're very quiet. He walks up... To, and the thing is, he's just allowed to, like, free roam this facility.
0: And then he grabs his... Like, grabs almost- his big
1: fucking... No, it looks like a machete. I can't believe it's, like, a surgical knife. What the fuck are they doing? If that is that for, like, amputations? I pr- pr- After operating on a baby, this thing's bigger than a baby.
0: And so... And then he slaughters everybody in the operating room. Everybody in
1: room. there. Now, it has always been... It's always been debated whether or not Wynne was killed. There is a quick cut because Wynne is wearing a different color, like, scrubs than everyone else. He's wearing... Red with, like, a white cap where everyone's wearing... Red with a blue cap where everyone's wearing green with a white cap. We see a, a quick cut because this thing... Of course, it has to have... Because fla- it's a fucking Joe Chappelle reshoot. It has to have flashing bright lights. And it's, like, epileptic... Like, strobe strobing <laughs> yeah. effect. It's a dark room with the light strobing as you see Michael massacre these fucking people. Like, violently stabbing. We see, But we see one shot of the wind, like, backing up. There's an alternate scene of this that we saw in the special features where... When yells like Michael, like almost like stop. What caused Michael to do this? Is this a reoccurring thing? Does Smith Grove have that high of a turnover rate every around late October that no one can put fucking two and two together
0: with? I don't know. It's just, it's it's just like I feel like like I feel like it's a mandate. Like oh, we need to pick a body. We need something really flashy. Yeah. Literally.
1: Um, Danny's also like in the out in the outer area with them. So while this is going on, they. Tommy and Kara feel that this is their moment to run. They grab the baby. They grab Danny. They run. As they're running out, a doctor that was in that operating room stumbles out. Stumbles out.
0: Michael, Michael in hot f-
1: pursuit. In hot, very hot pursuit. For these reshoots, Michael was primarily played by actor Michael Lerner,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. the doctor that survived this operating room asker, ironically, was played by his father, Fred Lerner. Yeah. So they're running through these like basement tunnels.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they're far ahead. The Doctor, he's he's trying to get away. At this point, Michael Lerner – obviously, I don't know if he ever s- saw the other ones. He's running at like a power walking pace that almost is like a – could almost be considered a light jog. Yeah. It's very un-Michael Myers.
0: But I think for some reason, I-, I enjoy that more than like the Wilbur wobble that we got earlier on when he's crossing the street going out to Kara and Danny. Or for some reason, at this point, like I, I- –
1: it's just shitty rhythm to it. It's just it's it's
0: too but fast. It's coupled with the fact of oh, the heavy metal soundtrack that's going on at this time as well. Yeah. It's really not helping. And
1: so they get past a certain point and they manage to close one of those like jail bar gates. Yeah, this guy. A security this gate
0: do- like a, like metal grates and everything. They leave
1: this do- poor doctor to his fate. Where Michael grabs a hold of him, and the way he gets through is he smashes this guy's head against the fucking grate until the whole door breaks. This was heavily cut. Yeah, we were able to see deleted scenes on the uh, producer's cut Blu-ray that. They did a really good, like his head was like sliced, like fucking like a cheese
0: grater, or, or like, and it was like a grater anyway. Yeah,
1: like, like his head was like sectioned off into pieces. Yeah, as the as the fucking jail cell door came down. Right. Uh, Michael continued in hot pursuit. They get to a dead end, you know, then where they can't get to, so they run into another lab. Quickly lock the door. In this lab, it's very dark, very dimly lit. There's like spooky chains floating around, but there's a lot of like weird. You know, incubation, incubation systems. Yeah, with these Fetus, babies. These like the, these like embryos the, or fetuses. I don't know if they were just like images or whatever or if that was actually...
0: Failed like, experiments that of yeah. potential other babies that maybe Jamie has given birth to? I do not know. Something, something know, strange. Something, maybe they're
1: trying to f- actually grow evil. Once again, it's the whole science versus mysticism thing. From, I, from what Wynn had said in his... Um, Conversation with Loomis, he's trying – in this version, he's trying to control evil instead of protect or guard over it. Right. That, I think, makes more sense Mm -hmm. because – and it proves that you cannot control evil. But there's nothing that indicates us that Michael knows this and takes his revenge on them.
0: No. But so Michael rips the door handle off the door, goes in. Everybody is hiding with the exception of Tommy with the baby, supposedly – he gets closer and offering up Stephen to him. Saying, you win. Yeah. But it's, he, uh, we hear Stephen cry off in the distant Little part of the bastard room. ruined it. And so Tommy plunges several syringes of... That's what he had wrapped up in the blankets, proposing against the
1: baby. A whole bunch of syringes full of green shit.
0: Yeah. And who he Michael picks up Tommy and tosses him around. The, proth- uh,
1: the protagonist throw, you called it, where he's sav- – where like in a movie where all these people are savagely and disgustingly killed and dismembered, the protagonist just gets thrown.
0: Yeah, it, because you see that in a lot of climaxes of movies, action, horror, but it's like, it's like everybody's being killed, but it's the main person, so we'll just have to toss them around back and forth like a yep. rag doll and like – we're like, it's a little bit of suspension. Disbelief is broken at that point because otherwise they should just kill him. But no, he's just tossing him. However, you have an explanation. Like, what? if he's got that, that shit just pumping through his veins now, whatever that shit that, that Tommy is injecting him with, is probably incapacitating him very slowly. It's it,
1: it slowly, like, it dazed him. Because you even see him, like, after he throws Tommy, just, like, shake his head like he's woozy. And Kara hits him in the head with a big pipe.
0: Which doesn't do much because he tries to strangle her, presumably –
1: he stops. It gets a hold of her. Picks her up. plays her on the table, and like starts like strang, like choking her, like intensely. She tr- pulls at his mask. Nothing's working. She's starting to fade though. Her arm drops. At which point, Danny, hiding in a corner, screams,
0: "Leave her alone!" And Michael, "Let's go of Kara And goes after Danny, but he who has the baby? But, who has the baby? And he can't fit between the two pipes that he's hiding behind. And it's he, like these.
1: It's like almost like these big tanks. Yeah, he can't fit through them.
0: And. The actor playing Danny, he's scared shitless it's because he's screaming he's, in terror. The, at this the kid point.
1: does a really good does a really good performance at just being like fucking terrified at everything at this.
0: Right, and I guess does Kara stab him in the back with nope, the syringe? Tommy or? does. Okay, and
1: Tommy has one more syringe of that green shit stabs him in the back with it and starts bashing him in the head with a fucking lead pipe. Right, with the with the pipe Kara dropped. Kara gets Danny out of there, and they splice the little producer's cut footage where Loomis shows up in the elevator, shoots out the lock. Yeah, Let's him out. Where Carol looks behind, even though Tommy's at the would now be at the other end of the hall, not in front of her like in the producer's cut. Yeah, he bashes Michael a couple times. It looks like it looks like a fucking lynching almost.
0: Yeah, and then we get all this like the, the more flash photography, strobing effect with like this green and black stuff oozing from his eyes, like the like the blood from lentil peng- soup. Yeah, it's like well, the Tom- pe- penguins black blood is is bleeding. From Tommy him.
1: he stops for a moment, thinking he stopped, and then he turns around and just starts bashing me more. And we get those the crazy quick flash cuts. <laughs> But in them, you're seeing, like, other scenes quickly, as well as this Myers face being bashed in with, like, with like the fucking, the, 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 the puke from the exorcist flowing out of his mask. At which point, Tommy stops, he's satisfied, he throws
0: Yanks, the, the, he just throws it down. And
1: walks out. Fades, fade to black, cut to... Come with us. Yes, a, more, a condensed version of, of the, the escape, where Tommy says, come with us. No, I have a little business to attend to. You know, and they drive away. Loomis stands there. Cut to the interior of that lab they were just in. The camera pans down slowly till it gets to the floor. There's Michael's mask sitting there yep. and an empty syringe. And in the background, very echoey, it's Loomis's scream from the producer's cut when he finds out he's inflicted with the curse.
0: Yeah. Presumably that Michael just killed Loomis.
1: Presumably Michael killed Loomis. Presumably Loomis realized Michael got away. Presumably the fucking wind was alive and he still inflicted him with the curse. Cut, cut to Exterior Myer's House, cut to Pumpkin at the end credits. And we get the wonderful licensed song called uh, "Brother" by Brother Kane, whoever the fuck they ended up being. And their hit single, which they probably were banking on the success of this movie for a career, the song And Fools Shine On in the credits.
0: They were the fools. They didn't shine on, though.
1: And fools shine on. Yeah, Miramax. <laughs> it's symbolic. And us, the audience, are sitting there with our bodies slowly fucking contorting into the shape of a question mark. What the fuck? What the fuck happened? What happened? Daniel Farrans has gone on record to denounce both movies because they both strayed so far away from his original script, but he even says, like, if, if you can see the producer's cut, you should see it. It's a better version, even though all the cult shit is, like, just hokey.
0: Yeah, it definitely. Jamie still
1: dies early. Now, for a very long time, the producer's cut existed entirely as a bootleg.
0: Yeah, and a VHS copy that was... I I got to
1: see it. I got to download it on like – I think it was like either Kazaa or LimeWire back in like early 2000s. And the thing was it never fucking impressed me. For whatever reason, I thought it was dumb as fuck. I thought the fucking theatrical version was better because – excuse me. It was less hokey. I liked the science over mysticism part. I liked – you know, there was a lot about the ending I liked better – the theatrical ending I liked better than the producer's cut ending – but there's a lot. There's a few things about the producer's cut ending I like better than the theatrical cut ending.
0: If you can like,
1: at this point, this is usually the point where you say, "Do you recommend this?" I'm going to say this is the first fucking time in this whole series or during that I do not recommend a Halloween movie. Stamp Halloween, it. Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers fucking sucks. Uh, watch it only if you give a shit to find out what happened after Halloween Five. Uh, if you could pick one version, what would it be? Producer's cut or theatrical? Producers. Why?
0: Because I think it's better paced. I think it's a better made movie. I, it's without the annoying strobing effects that happened. Like, sure, like the theatrical has more of a, a big climatic ending with like the slaughter of all the people in the the operating room, and then like the big chase because it feels like that in the producer's cut it just abruptly ends.
1: Even though producer's cut is a longer movie, it still has a quicker ending.
0: Yeah. And like, even, it's just like even if you try to cut them together, you couldn't like shape... it's not like the despecialized edition of the Star Wars movies or something like that. It's not like a perfect cut exists or anything. They're both shit sandwiches. I mean, if I had to choose one, I could I could watch the producer's cut because I think it's like I said, it has more of atmosphere thrown in, and it has a better score, even if with our minor criticism of Alan Holworth's work for this one. But.
1: Alan Howarth, I, I I want to say he did a great job. There are some of the musical tracks he could have tweaked a little bit better, but for the most part, he, I feel like he very successfully brought back a lot of the favorite parts of the score from the original.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like I only watched this movie kind of like how I watched The Room. It's like it's so bad, it's good. Like, I know it's a terrible movie, but I get a lot of enjoyment just watching how terrible of Paul Rudd's character in this and how he's presented it because I know Paul Rudd's a good actor. I just feel like the decisions he made just makes it very funny. And, like, he just, like, like, especially when in the hospital, like, get me a doctor. It is so laughable, but and frustrating. But, like, it is, I only watch it as a guilty pleasure. I don't go back to it often. Like, it's only when it's like, hey, do you want to, like, it's, do you want to do that? Sure. Like, it's not something I go back to often. If you don't want to watch it, you don't have to. Just skip to H2O. Well,
1: for me, I. I guess I'd recommend the producer's cut, but the problem is once you get to the fucking point where you have the thorn cult and their fucking thorn costumes, I just I'm lost. I'm done. I'm fucking done. What I'd love to do is take watch the producer's cut up until the point when tommy up until the point when Loomis goes to Wynn's office, then pop in the theatrical cut from that same spot and watch it until. They get to the point where the guy's fucking head gets smashed in through the bar's doors and then cut back to the ending chase after they from the producer's cut when they escape the ceremony and are running away with the runes. Watch that like that. If you see a whole ton of inconsistencies, oh, carrot was just strapped to an altar one minute, but now she's in a room. Oh, Tommy was wearing his clothes, but now he's wearing one of them goofy fucking costumes. What? Just say whatever. Yeah. Just say whatever. You'll be more satisfied than if you watch. I mean, that, either of those. That was the, kind all the way of
0: that, that was the kind of attitude Miramax had to this continuity. So, might as well.
1: Might as well have the same fucking thing. Well, anywho, when it comes to watching Halloween at home, well, I think I I only watch this movie when I'm like marathoning the series. Yeah, and you only I watch
0: the Blu-ray from the Shout Factory. So if you get it, watch the watch it that. Yeah, way.
1: if if you feel like watching Halloween Six on the home version, I suggest you consult a psychiatrist, <laughs> uh, get on some heavy medication. You can buy it on DVD, but the only transfer on DVD that has existed, to the best of my knowledge, has been just a very very crappy, boxed sixteen by nine. Version it's four by three, but letterbox, so you can have black bars on all four sides. It looks like shit. It's taken from a shit transfer. That's the only one I had for years, um, many years ago. Echo Bridge, Echo, the esteemed Echo Bridge Entertainment, known for their uh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderfully sarcastic quality, uh, released Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, and H two O, and I think Resurrection also. Those three were kind of bundled together yeah, a lot for some it's reason. The, Mir- yeah, the Miramax it. trilogy, yeah. Um. Their version of Curse of Michael Myers fared better than their Halloween H2O release, so if you would like to watch it on Blu-ray, you could do that. Or you can get the Shout Factory 10-disc or 15-disc. Probably the 10-disc would be more affordable. Uh, box set, because even they, they put out, actually, a new uh, transfer of the theatrical. But also contained in that is the um, producer's cut. It was finally in 2014 for the, for the uh, box set. It was finally released officially on Blu-ray. They did an amazing, you know, transfer. Um, they did a really good job. Five point, one surround sound, everything. And they included a ton of special features. Yeah. Tons. All these scenes we were talking about, um... Interviews, behind-the-scenes footage.
0: It wasn't like a just a thrown-together kind of like, oh, we'll throw a trailer in and that's it. No, they took care into the presenting of the producer's cut because this was the first official release of it, and they wanted to treat it like as it should be because people have been clamoring for it for years. I mean, hell, the producer's cut was so famous, we got lucky enough to see a print of it, the only print that exists of it. We got to see it on 35mm film, a retro picture show. Yes,
1: we actually... Uh, this past September, the wonderful folks at Retro Picture Show managed to get their hands on the actual 35 millimeter print that was test screened for audiences. The in only 1995. third time it's ever been shown in America. Third time it has ever been shown, and we got to see it. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, there does exist a better quality of the theatrical version. It was released as a single movie alongside um, the producer's cut. It is released by Anchor Bay, and it has it has a. Boatload of special features, uh, Blu-ray.com did give it very good reviews. Over, you know, like four point for quality overall. The movie itself was not given, so you do you do have options. But if you want anything that's worth owning, you're pretty much limited to Blu-ray. Yeah, though you could always just buy the DVDs and use them as a good coaster if you need.
0: Right. But yeah. So and with that,
1: we wash our hands of this bullshit. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't leave too much out. I feel like I have like three it's pages. The longest of, episode thus far. I have three pages of fucking notes in front of me, and I swear to God, I feel like I feel like I gave up. That's what that's what I feel like. Yeah, I feel like I gave up.
0: But with that in mind, um, you don't have any social media to plug. So you don't have to do anything there. Come
1: back next month and find out which version of the movie. The uh, story continued with yeah, and or so, not.
0: And if you want to follow me on social media, follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two, Instagram at t Rooney Ten Twelve. My other podcast, Please Rewind, the RF Four M Retro Show, part of the Real Fans for Real Movies Podcast Network. You can find that that show and all the other shows network at rf4m dot com. My YouTube page, Through the Lens Productions. And if you like the show, subscribe. Leave a written review and five stars on iTunes. It helps get the word out there. Mike, thanks. thank you so much for
1: – Thank you for putting me through that. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It in, the, in the journey of great things, there are some stumbles along the way.
0: Exactly. So, how... in, in,
1: in two more months, we'll come back and we'll have a little more fun with that fucking atrocity.
0: Exactly. With that atrocity. Hope everybody has enjoyed our review of Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, and we'll talk to you soon.